the views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily no, represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio, Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of this broadcast or podcast without the express written consent of Spaced Out Radio or Spaced Out Radio Limited is strictly prohibited. Listener discretion is advised. the mountains of British Columbia to you listening around the world. This is Spaced Out Radio with host Dave Scott. They let us play with all our toys. They let us think that we're big boys. They let us make a lot of noise but we're the world. They let us think we're Superman. You can follow us on our website, spacedoutradio.com on iTunes and tune in. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio on Facebook at Spaced Out Radio Show, or on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Are you playing with Bigfoot and aliens again? Uh, Dad, you gotta stop haunting the goat. It's scaring them. All right, seriously, put down the pointy sticks. Okay! Game on! Game on! Game on! Word is. Alright, alright, alright. Buckle up, space travelers. It's time to go for a ride on Space Out Radio. Mr. Bumblefoot, Dave is ready for liftoff. Seriously, Dave? Really? Aren't you a little old for a tinfoil hat? I am. Toby! Bye-bye. 
Good evening and welcome to Spaced Out Radio tonight. I'm your guest host, Eric Markham, giving Dave Scott a much-needed and deserved night off. It's good to have you along for the ride on this Wednesday, June 28th, Thursday, June 29th, if you're on the East Coast or across the pond. Hope you had a great day. We are live right here in the Great White North on top of the mountains of central British Columbia, as we are seven nights a week. Let's welcome everyone listening in on our terrestrial stations. WQEE 99, Rock the Key in Noonan, Georgia, home of the Walking Dead. We're live as well on the United Public Radio Network on 107.7 FM in New Orleans and over 160 countries around the world. We are also live on spacedoutradio.com, Spreaker, KLTK, The Fringe FM, Renegade Talk Radio, the High Plains Talk Radio Network, and on Revolution Radio. Remember, the Double R Machine is a donation station funded by you, the valued listeners. Head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today. Like our music? Then rock with us to Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Fall, formerly Guns N' Roses, currently Art of Anarchy. Bumblefoot is the official sound of Spaced Out Radio. Also, you can check us out on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio. Give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. On Instagram, you can follow Dave Scott at Dave Scott, S-O-R. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn. Download our shows from iTunes. We're also on Radio Guide FM, TalkStream Live, and on Stitcher. And, of course, our website is spacedoutradio.com. And if you go to patreon.com for as low as a dollar a month, you can become a patron of Spaced Out Radio. If you want to take part in the show tonight, sign into one of our chat rooms on our website by clicking Listen Live on Revolution Radio, on Spreaker, and on the UPN, UPRN chat room, and on Facebook at the SOR Space Travelers Club. Or if you're on Twitter, just go to hashtag Radio, and I will get your questions there as well. If you head to our website for just five bucks a month, you can become an SOR space traveler. And as of right now, you can go to the Spaced Out Radio store and pick up a t-shirt, poster, or an SOR sticker. Man, that's a mouthful, Dave. I don't know how you do that every night. Tonight's guest is from a sense of nostalgia one of the long-running uh, scientific-type guests on the radio circuit. His name is David Adair. Good evening, David. How you doing? I'm doing fine. How you doing, Eric? Good to, good to talk to you. Now, let's get some of the, the nostalgia out of the way first. A lot of okay. our listeners have heard the story with Area 51. And right. You actually have, having experienced or witnessed the alien, with it like a 
Greyhound bus size power plant. Correct. Okay, but then you've gone on from that, so that's not that's not going to be the focus of today's interview. I want to talk about the current stuff you're doing, and yeah. I don't think a lot of people realize that there's a danger out there that isn't being publicized too much. Oh um, man! It Start out with uh, telling us about the Carrington event, and let's work up from there. Um, a British astronomer named uh, Joseph uh, Carrington, uh, back in September of 1859, he um, witnessed uh, with his own eyes a flash from the sun, and he tracked it, and he found out that um, the Earth was hit that day, uh, by a CME, a corona mass ejection. Now, a CME is, uh, you have to see this thing in space to believe it. It's, it's like something out of Star Trek. It's a mass of um, charged proton particles coming off the sun. And the sun just slings it off like um, you take your fingers across your forehead and sling off a bead of sweat. Well, that's, uh, that's what the sun's doing. And it's rotating. These things just fly off in all directions. But this bead of sweat is a hundred billion tons. Now let me give you the size. That's the size and mass of Mount Everest. And it comes across space. It'll cover ninety-three million miles in somewhere between twelve and fourteen hours. That's just below light speed. So imagine a hundred, <laughs> you know, a hundred billion ton mass coming at you nearly the speed of light. Well, that's a CME, and it happens all the time in, in uh, our solar system with our suns and our planets. Um, however, once in a while we get struck by a CME, and we did so on September 1859. Now, the only thing that was uh, no CME has ever harmed any plants or animals. So what they really seem to really take out is anything electronic. So in 1859, the only thing that was electronic was the telegraph wire, which uh, they promptly lost their telegraph wires, a um, variety of damage, everything from hot to melted to uh, just popped or just quit working. And uh, they had to stomp out a few fires, and that was it. Now, fast forward to 2017. If a CME comes in today, where's your main power grid? It's 40 feet in the air over your head on the telephone poles. And um, if that ain't bad enough, you've got the transformers. That's going to be the biggest problem. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but a transformer is filled with oil. Uh, that's so it can maintain the heat that comes through there from the charged electrons. So, unfortunately, when a CME comes in, it's a spike. It's a spike on nuclear steroids. It will come down through the lines it will well first of all what it does it, it comes into earth and it hits the van allen radiation belt and then the uh cme will will kind of split in half and curve around and collide on the back side of point of impact then it cascades over the upper atmosphere and it comes down through um, the ionosphere stratosphere um all the rest of mesosphere troposphere so anyhow they uh it will cascade over the the surface of the earth. Now in 1859, um, the, that night after it struck us, um, and the table, uh, telegraph wires had their problem. 
That night, the Roy Borealis was so charged, it was seen from the equator, of, at the equator, from the North Pole to the equator, and the light was so bright that New Yorkers at 3 a.m. could read their newspapers by it. So that's got to be a spectacular-looking thing. But, um, and that's all pretty much happened in 1859. But if it would hit us now, it, well... People hear this all the time. Let me tell you something. This is this is not global warming or climate change or any other things that can be vague. This is really hard science. This is the actual physical stuff that happens with Mother Nature, and it's going to do it. And it don't give a damn if you're a Republican, a Democrat, or even an Independent. It's going to do its thing, and it almost got us. The the last one that went by. Um, it wasn't one, it wasn't two, it was three. And it was July 23rd, 2012. And three CMEs in a perfect row, perfect storm with CMEs, come hurling at us. And it passed us only by 110,000 miles. Folks, that's half the distance between here and the moon. That's only 80,000 miles away from your geostationary satellites, ESPN. Those things just went by, and it would it, if they had hit, we would not be talking. We all would be dead. Um, and it's not from the impact of the CME. The CME is not what kills you. It's what follows afterwards, and we did it to ourselves with our power grid. Um, when the CME strikes, they'll come in over the land, cascading, and then that charge uh, Protons will meet up with our uh, power grid. And when it goes through the backfires through the system, you'll get spikes. Um, it looked like a camera flash. And then what happens is most of those uh, transformers are going to detonate like napalm. So now think of how many there are. <laughs> yeah, there's hundreds of millions of them. And they all detonate. You're burning from coast to coast. You cannot put them out. How can you? There's no electricity. The grid's gone. You can't run pumps to pump the water. Once the fire engines, if the fire engines even start, they will uh, pump out their water, and that's it. Game over. And it's still burning. You can't call the police. can't call the fire department. can't call anybody. No 911. That's all gone. And uh, you have no police. You have no National Guard. Yeah, you have a military helping you. So... If that's not bad enough, then the next thing starts. Food and water runs out, and then sanitation stops. This is all happening the same day. And uh, you know what does survive, uh, Eric? Guess what? Uh, about 400 million handguns and all the ammo. It'll come through perfectly fine. And so now you have 350 million Americans standing there in the dark, can't call anybody, no cell phone, no pages, no faxes, no modems. It's all gone. Everything's gone. Stand there in the dark, no food, no water, <laughs> no sanitation, no one to call for help, and 350 million of you with handguns. What do you think's going to happen? Oh, it's going to be Well, I mean, you'll have societal collapse. And um, you don't have to believe me. Shoot, no. There's... Um, the uh, National Intelligence Council of the U.S. intelligence community 
Uh, it speaks for the entire U.S. intelligence community. And they wrote a paper called Global Trends 2030, and they said uh, this, there, that uh, just there are eight black swan events. Now, a black swan event, if you had not read the book, is um, it's a global civilization changer. It, it changes everything, as you know it. Well, the, uh, a CME is one of them, and EMP is another. That's, both of them are very similar. They're, the EMP is electromagnetic pulse which is charged out of a nuclear weapon right before it detonates. Uh, it'll build up this EMP uh, uh, charge, and then it goes off. And when it does, it takes out everything, like the CME uh, from the sun. So man has his own version of it, EMP, and then Mother Nature has her version of it, the CME, and both of them will take out the grid. Uh, but in their uh, report, Global Trends 2030, um, there was multiple agencies uh, that did the studies, and there's something really scary when all these agencies came up with the same numbers on the same conclusion. And when you get all these different agencies don't even like each other, and they all agree on the same thing, you better, better believe you can take it to the bank. So what they were saying in the EMP, which is not quite as bad as CME, but splitting hairs here, but the EMP Commission warned that given our current state of, of unpreparedness, within 12 months of a catastrophic EMP event, very similar to the CME, 90% of the total U.S. population, that's over 200 million Americans, would perish. You would die from starvation, disease, exposure, and societal collapse. And that's what the National Intelligence Committee just told the U.S. Intelligence uh, Forum that then tells everybody. So, um, Well, David, I got a question. Uh, with the CME, the kind of radiation it sends, you said it doesn't harm living or organic matter. It's going to destroy electronic. Now, does it have to have... Does it have to have the tele... The, the wires to travel along or just by virtue of its being there? Because I'm thinking, you know, these lines have circuit breakers in them because the one in front of my house goes off about twice a month. But uh, yeah, and is there that anything is, that's going to stop that that catastrophic current surge? No. Um, we do not have surge arresters. We do not have blocking devices. We do not have Faraday cages. And I can go down the list of all things we don't have. Now, those devices I just named, uh, we know absolutely sure uh, for the last 50 years that those are reliable uh, protections uh, because we've installed them into the military system uh, so the military would be able to function under an EMP. However, the rest of us out in society, uh, good luck. You ain't got any of that. So, um, uh, and by the time... Military wouldn't even be able to help us. You know, you got give you an idea of the, the, the sheer magnitude of this thing. We lost about 5,000 people in uh, 2011, and when that was bad enough, um, or not 2011, excuse me, uh, uh, 9-11, we lost uh, about 5,000 people. We're talking over 200 million. Your brain can't even get wrapped around that. That's so many dead laying out there that you can't possibly get them into the ground. So imagine the stench that's going to be everywhere. And um, 
you can't possibly uh, serve that many people. We don't have that much EM, uh, emergency medical uh, preparedness. We, we don't have anything to match that kind of need. So, um, no, my hospital so would be done in about 12 hours probably. Uh, it's going to be, in the first week, you're going to lose probably 50 million Americans. And that's not due to the um, CME or even the EMP. That is what happens when the grid's gone and everything collapses. And then you have societal collapse, which will be all your murdering going on. And the thing, once you kill all these people, they're laying out in the streets, their bodies aren't going anywhere, disease starts spreading everywhere. And that kills even more, making more disease, spreading more. It's, it's, a, it's a spiraling. So it's uh, it's a grim thing. It's the end of the world stuff, and and we almost got it on July twenty third, twenty twelve. Look it up, type it in the internet, read up on it. There's all kinds of information on it. You never heard a damn word of it when it was coming in at us back then, because they decided they, the U.S. government, Homeland Security, the National Intelligence Council, they decided not to tell you that this black swan was heading this way, because. What could they do? Nothing. But, but you know, it would be nice to get a heads up that you, know, you better say goodbye to your family. Right. Um, now, but, if if the corona, if the, the side of the earth that is facing the coronal mass ejection, I, is this something that is just, is it going to affect the side that's hit, or does this thing pretty much envelop like, would it, you know, the backside of the planet be less affected? Yeah, think of a ball, a beach ball going under a waterfall. What's the water do when it hits it? It cascades around it, so it's entirely covered. Uh, that's exactly what will happen uh, when the CME arrives, or if they detonate an EMP straight overhead. Um, yeah, we will be completely enveloped in it. And so that, that, that's really what does all the damage. It just overwhelms and overpowers the grid, and um, it's got nowhere and know how to stop the surging. And when the surge runs all through those transformers and they just go from regular temperature to white hot and they detonate, um, that's what's going to burn us. And, and here's the worst part. <laughs> if it ain't bad enough, it gets worse. If you have not just the continent of North America burning, but every continent on planet Earth, which it would, they all would be burning. They'll throw so much smoke and ash into the air, it'll blot out the sun for the next three years. All vegetation dies. The planet gets really cold, like zero all across the planet, and everybody dies. That's, that's how it really gets you. That's how it finishes you off. And all these reports, they always left, a good anywhere from five to seven percent left. And I said, "Well, who's all those people?" And they went, "Well, oh, that's one percenters going into the bunkers." <laughs> and they were serious. So I'm going, "Yeah, that's just wonderful." Um, and and those are the kind now, of people that are, when they survive, they're just and I'm being sarcastic here. They're eminently qualified to garden for themselves or otherwise yeah. Yeah, survive. Yeah, once right. The camp, goods are gone. Yeah, it'll be the rich and their servants going in. That's about it. But I'm telling you, we'll come out and they'll inherit the surface of the moon. Um, so it's 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 grim. It's really grim, and that's 
some really bad news about it all. <laughs> you die. It's just well, there's no there's no call in nine one one. You know, the cops are probably going to be protecting their families. Uh, yeah, exactly right. There's no electricity for the pumping station. So once you basically once you once you expose or you you use up what you had on the pumper trucks yep. or you know anything any passive systems well that's providing you're that kind you, of screwed <laughs> yeah and that's providing you get any vehicle started it will shut down all the computer systems and all the vehicles so all the vehicles are dead the only ones that might start was the ones that be turned off when it hits but if they're running and it hits they're gone they will never turn on again their entire electrical systems will be fried, just like the um, the grid itself. So <laughs> it's miserable, isn't it? Um, there's really nothing good to say about this except one thing. It doesn't need to happen. We have ways of, with today's technology, off-the-shelf technology, not, it's not rocket science here, uh, you can do and off you the would shelf go. <laughs> And you yeah, would know could, if it was rocket science. would know, uh, and I'm telling you. Um, anyway, there's a game plan, and um, somehow or another, I've gotten, uh, I don't know, I just got vacuumed into this thing. Uh, but there is a way to get around this, and it's a whole lot simpler than you think it is, and it's uh, very simple. And you can you can join me in on this if you want. Um, matter of fact, I wish everybody would. See, what's happened was there's this congressman um, in Arizona named Trent Franks. And he's a Republican. And he had a partner. It's a congresswoman named Yvette Clark. She's a Democrat of New York. And those two got together in a bipartisan mode. And they wrote this 25-page SHIELD Act. And I've read the whole thing, and I'm going, dang, this is good. Uh, they've got surge arresters. They've got blocking devices, Faraday cages. They've got all the technology that's available today that would basically deflect and render a CME or an EMP effect on our grid down to just a minimum, if anything. Well, how much something like that going to cost? Well, they need a, a one-time chunk of money of $10 billion. Well, there you go. See, the, now the taxpayer's got to pay it. <laughs> You've already did. It's money already in the system. Uh, the budget of DOE is not $30 million a year, $30 billion a year. <laughs> DOE gets $30 billion every 12 months, you know, for God's sake. So anyway, you take $10 billion, $10 billion of that budget, and build the um, the shield of across the entire grid, and then you use it when you average out uh, maintenance for the uh, uh, entire operation and keeping it going forever uh, comes to about twenty cents a year per person. Uh, that's adults, not counting kids. Just twenty cents per person. So think about that. Just, just the price of two envelopes and that would get you your grid bill. Well, the problem is, the thing was introduced about six years ago. It has floundered in the um, 
United States Senate subcommittees, and uh, they're playing politics with our lives. They're not allowing the thing to be passed. And uh, so if it's got to get passed and then it's got to be written into law and then we can go to work on it. Um, so anyhow, I... Oh, it's, a long, it's a long story. Uh, what started all this with me and finding all this out is that um, there's... Have you, uh, Eric, you ever heard of a thing called S? WPC? Yes, I it, have. Okay, it's good. It's not very well, you have to hunt for it. It's not very well, it's not no, very well no, it's uh, not. publicized, but. But you when you get there, it. when you get there, it's a nice place, isn't it? Um, yeah. They got a really, a really pretty website. They've got a really nice command center in Boulder, Colorado. And uh, the man that runs it, his name is Teo Stein. Really nice guy, does his job. And what Teo's got going there is the Space Prediction or Space Weather Prediction Center, and that's where you see on the Weather Channel uh, space weather. That's where it comes from. Well, what what Mr. Stein does in his office and his staff, they monitor all the threats from space, and they've got some really nice equipment. They got two satellites called Echo One and Two, and they're orbiting the Earth uh, one million miles away from us, and they're designed to detect CMEs when they're coming in. Well, uh, when the satellites say, hey, the CME inbound, uh, he puts out an alert all over his system from the Space Weather Prediction Center, and then everybody would have to act accordingly and, and shut grids down and stuff like that. Well, I called up Mr. Stein and I asked him, um, Mr. Stein, when you send out the emergency alert and it goes out through the system, um, that, that what makes up the system? Well, there are 900 electric rural electric co-ops. And add all 900 together, and you've got the North American grid. Well, that's great, Mr. Stein. How many people signed up? How many of those 900 signed up on your system? None. <laughs> what? Wait. you got two satellites out there doing a job. you got a nice, pretty command center here. And you got a really good, fine website, and you got an alert network, and you send out the alert, and none of the 900 are hearing you. Because that's right. <laughs> What's like going throwing on? A, it's throwing a party that nobody knows yeah, is an well, invitation. And he's he he's uh, he's an amazing man. He's um he's an honest bureaucrat. It's like an oxymoron. Uh, you know, like yeah, where did, yeah, where did he come from? He's an honest vehicle, and he goes, that's not my job. And he's telling you the truth, that's not his job. His job is not to sign people up on the network. These electric co-ops should do it, and they're not doing it. So I'm sitting there going, holy cow. So he goes, yeah, it was. Uh, he said, uh, July 23rd, 2012, we just about got it. He said three CMEs came in at the same time, and they passed the earth within 110,000 miles. If that was the Earth was a person and uh, these were bullets, you'd feel the wind from the bullets as they went by. That's how close it is. So um, I'm going, my God, they didn't say a word on television about it. I guess you're right. They purposely did not put it on national media because, you know, if they hit, what what can we do? Nothing. And I'm going, the event that just about killed us all. 
Now, he, then he's not through, and he says, oh, yeah, if we were six days earlier in our orbit, yeah, all three of them would have hit us dead center, and we all would be dead now. And I'm going, holy crap. So the Mayans wrote their calendar, what, 2,000 years ago? Without computers or calculators, and they only missed it by six days. We would have died in 2012 on July 23rd. That is just crazy. And I, that's when I got pulled into this. And that's so okay. I, and it missed us by such a narrow margin. When you're talking, okay, half the splitting hairs, uh, man. Yeah, in in the you know, space is a really big place, and to come with yeah. Half the orbit of the moon. Yeah. Like I said, if if that's a bullet, you're gonna feel the breeze. That was you're gonna such a hair, it's gonna part your it's gonna part your hair from the wind. I'm telling you, you can't get any closer. Yeah, I understand. Uh Pluto's like four and a half bit four point six billion miles from the sun. Okay. That's but that's the size of the solar system. We're talking about something that just breezed by it's only a hundred and ten thousand miles. I got that's it. less than I, half I just saw that's only 80,000 miles that. from your geostationary satellites. Well, <laughs> now, does this, thing, does this thing have a field effect, a coronal mass ejection? I mean, is there a... I mean, obviously, if the main body of the coronal mass ejection strikes the Earth, but is there a field effect around it? How close would it have to come to act, you know, maybe not hit the Earth, but how close would it have to come... To still cause damage. Um, well, obviously, we now know for sure uh, they can come as close as 110,000 miles because it didn't disturb anything. Uh, but yeah, understanding uh, field networks, nuclear charged particles, and proton plasmas, this thing is just cooking. And um, God knows, I wouldn't really wouldn't want to know. It, I know anything less than 110,000, let's say just 100,000. Yeah, yeah, there's going to be some field effects, but um, it's as close as you could possibly cut it without, you know, getting any problems from it. And um, <laughs> I've had, um, of course, alternative groups have different theories, and you know, somebody said, you know, it's like a Star Trek event. Captain Kirk, somebody deflected those things. I don't know. Maybe they did. If they did, thank you, because we were going to burn. And uh, and the sad part is. Doesn't need to happen. We can put the shield act in place and um, and get it up and running. And when a, a CME comes in, and hits, cascades through the atmosphere, it will just have a really bright aurora borealis light show that night. And next day, we'll be just fine. Um, but there, it's kind of more of an extensive uh, uh, event. Um, if you get the shield act passed and we are implementing it. Um, I would definitely make a, a trip or two over to uh, Russia and China and Europe and tell them, well, y'all see us building this uh, uh, shield grid for our um, power uh, systems, and Jarl's is set up about the same way. Uh, we would even give you the technology, send people over, make sure you get it right, and you build your own shield, and uh, you want to do that. See, you really want them to do that because if, let's say, America comes through without being on fire, uh, what about the rest of the continents? If they're burning, they're going to throw enough smoke and ash in the air, and we're back to a nuclear winter again. So um, 
You, so this I, isn't you, something you're going to think. This isn't something some Pentagon think tank has said. Well, if we protect ourselves and keep the no, secret. It, it we're it, we're going to be collateral damage if they don't do their no. part as well. Right, and that's a very easy way to motivate them. You just give them all the facts, and then before you leave, you just tell them this. Um, if you guys sit here and do nothing, and we get our shield built over there at uh, North America, and uh, CME comes in, and a cast goes over the entire planet, and uh, North America, probably Canada, since they're so close, will come through pretty much unburnt, our infrastructure completely intact. Now, here you are, China, Soviet Union, Europe, your entire infrastructure is gone, gone for decades, maybe even longer. Who do you think is going to own the planet? The cockroaches. (laughs) Oh, then you walk off because we will, America will own the world. We, our infrastructure is protected. We come through just fine. And hopefully they don't throw enough smoke and ash up while they burn to a fender out there uh, to blind out the sun. If they don't, then America will own the world. I mean, own it. Imagine you got to build from scratch. Your infrastructure has gone. Your factories don't work. Nothing. You have to rebuild the factories from scratch. So... Imagine a superpower like America is sitting there with this infrastructure in place and the rest of the plants burnt. So that would motivate China and Russia. Yeah, hell yeah, they'll get their grid covered. And uh, you wouldn't even have to beat them. Just tell them that and walk off. It's the yeah. what if thing. Drive right. them crazy. If and, the uh, Shield Act was enacted like right now, tonight, right. how long would it take? For it to, you know, to protect our infrastructure, our electrical infrastructure. I mean, this isn't something where you just go flick a switch and wave a magic wand. This requires a lot of work. Yeah, you got to install a lot of things. You got to put in surge arresters, blocking devices, Faraday cages. Do you know um, that uh, there's these. Giant transformers. You've seen the transformers at substations. These are called high-energy transformers. Do you know there are over 300 of them? These are big ones. And do you know that we have absolutely no spares? It takes two years. If one of those transformers gives out, it'll take two years for us to get a replacement built for it. We have no spares anywhere. Are they? That are not, they still built in the? You know, are they still built in the U.S. or are we nope. having to rely on a foreign country to? Yeah, uh, Japan. <laughs> so it's it's nuts. Uh, you're talking between one hundred, two hundred million dollars uh, for the to build your set of, of spares for these three hundred um, transformers. And um, <laughs> uh, well, and keep them. Congress wastes that much money on golf trips and and press conferences, so that's really well, what, yeah. not that over big, a, Iraq. big a deal. Yeah, that's not that much money to protect and have some spares. Yeah, how about the sixty-five billion they lost in um, 
Iraq. Remember the $65 billion cash? Just, just type it in the Internet. Look at it. $65 billion disappeared. How about the $150 billion, you know, damn government gave uh, Iraq or Iran, and now it's reneged on the contract? 150 We just need 10 You done spent 15 plus $65 billion. You spent so much on wasted money uh, already, 10, 20, 30 times more than what we need. And what did you get for all that money spent? Nothing. What is the uh, status of your um, entire power grid? Super critical, vulnerable. It's just sitting there waiting to be just burned to an ash. So, um, yeah, I don't and by the way, realize how exposed we are at this point. I mean, no, they don't. there's no uh, and predicting coronal mass ejections either. I mean, a CME could happen while we're talking about it. There's no... Well, we'd have, what, nine minutes to know that yeah. it was headed? <laughs> uh, let me tell you another fun story. Now, I mostly been talking about CMEs, coronal mass ejections coming off the sun. But the EMP... That's a man-made device, and it has about the same effect as a CME. Well, how is that even possible? Well, you might want to go check out uh, the story on the Internet where over at Panama Canal, they intercepted this um, ship uh, coming from, uh, from North Korea through the Panama Canal, and they believe it was on its way to Mexico. And they pulled a hundred, uh, ten or hundred thousand bag pounds of uh, bags of sugar out of it, and laying underneath the sugar is two complete missile systems with launchers. And they were on their way to Mexico. And the cones that were built for the top, the warheads, they were EMP devices. Now the devices were not with the rockets, but Iran and North Korea was working a deal with Mexico where they'd launched these missiles from Mexico. they fly about 120 miles up over, um, I would say, probably Kansas. And then when it detonates uh, about 120 miles above us, it'll put an EMP out over the entire continent of North America. Oh, by the way, do you know the southwest corner of America has no anti-missile defense system? None. Did you know that? Look no, that's that crazy. That's crazy because yeah. you've got so much of the Air Force, the Navy. I mean, the Navy down in San Diego. But all we fleet, you know, where, and there's nothing there to protect all that? Nope. Uh, they said it's just Mexico, deserts, you know, and tacos. There's nothing to worry about. <laughs> and that's the point where the ship was heading. And um, so... Somebody could drop an EMP right now. They're trying to. They're trying to get, that was a run to get the missiles in. I believe the EMP devices are already in Mexico. So they can launch from there and just just burn us to a cinder. Uh, it might not be as bad as a CME. It won't have the power. So it might not uh, spike uh, all the transformers into napalm. But still, your grid goes dead and black, and you still got all those other troubles. So it just makes it a little bit easier if you're not on fire. Uh, but uh, still, you have no, no power grid. It's gone. And that's man-made. And the little fat boy down in Korea is working very hard 
to get an EMP delivered for your fireworks enjoyment. And um, it's going to happen, y'all, if you don't protect your grid. The Shield Act's in place to do just that. Um, let me tell you something else about an EMP. Uh, type in the... Um, on July 15, 2013, is when they found those missiles. But also, back in 2013, did you hear about Silicon Valley substation? Did you hear what happened to it? I vaguely remember it, that. It was attacked. And the police... <laughs> oh, the police, they're wonderful. They came up and they said, Oh, yeah, you're talking about the vandals that was there in spray cans. And we're going, What? No, here's what happened. Somebody broke in the substation of Silicon Valley. It's right next to an interstate. Now, the cops say these are vandals. You know, teenagers, spray cans. Well, these teenagers, first thing they did, they shot out all of the camera systems. All of them. One shot each. Next thing they did, they took out 37 transformers, and they just shot the cable that connected them to the grid. They did not shoot the transformers. They just shot the connecting cable. 37 shots, 37 transformers, one shot each. Nobody heard a single gunfire, meaning they're, they're using sound suppressors. No one even saw anything. And the, as soon as they got through the chain link uh, gate, just went through it, just cut it with something open, they went over to this big subground vault, and they used a burning magnesium rod. You ever seen that used? It's a yes. rod that you feel. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it hot as... Like daylight. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, they cut right through the vault in just seconds, went in and used some kind of device and cut all of the fiber optic cables, and then they left. And they were in and out in less than 15 minutes. They did all that took out 37 transformers, took out the fiber optic that was in a vault. Oh, now these are vandals with spray cans. That's the official report. That was a tactical attack by a very highly trained, specialized ops force. Somebody's doing a dry run. And they didn't want to raise a ruckus because it's next to a freeway. So they got in and out. And all this was documented. Can't deny it. Look it up on the Internet. And that was a police report, vandals. So that's somebody getting ready. We're going to have an attack. Our grid's going to go down, and we're going to be standing in the dark ages. Um, so anyhow, how do we make this better? I'm glad I asked myself that. <laughs> <laughs> there is a way to get out of this with the SHIELD Act. All you got to do is this. You pick up two pieces of paper. You write down two sentences, one sentence on each page, and you say, I support the SHIELD Act, and uh, mention my name, and then sign it and date it. You fold it up, and you send one letter to uh, U.S. Senator Lisa Mikowski. She's the Alaskan uh, senator. And... Um, I have a whole address here. You know what I'll do is I'll email you an address so people can come and get it off of you. How about that? Oh, that'll be great. Yeah. Uh, you will have all the information. Um, so we'll, we'll coordinate that after the program. And we'll get uh, the, then spread. The, other, we'll get the now, word spread. 
Yeah, now these two people are the chair people. Uh, Lisa Mikowski is a chairwoman of the U.S. Senate Subcommittee on the S.H.I.E.L.D. Act. Congressman Greg Walton of Oregon, he is the House Chairman of the uh, of the Congress to, to, for the S.H.I.E.L.D. Act. So these two people, Lisa Mikowski and Greg Walton, and I'll, you'll get your addresses. I'll read them off anyhow. They're 522... Hart Senate Office Building. But if you go to the Internet, just look up their names, you'll get all the information. But all you got to do is just say, I support SHIELD Act, sign it, date it, fold the letter, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, and send one to uh, Lisa Mokoski and then one to Greg Walden. And um, and you're going to ask yourself, well, what good would that do? Well, I learned something when my travels with all this mayhem. Um, a U.S. Senator told me something in confidence, which I'm going to tell you. Uh, they get hundreds of emails a day in their offices, and they just blow them off. But if they get ten written letters by ten different people on the same subject, man, they go into a panic mode. They get subcommittees formed. They start moving on whatever it is. There's, I don't know. There's something about postage and the stamps or something. It just drives them nuts. But that's all you got to do. So I I called both his offices. I called Lisa Murawski's office, called Greg Walton's office, and I told him, I have an awful lot of followers. Matter of fact, it's in the millions, tens of millions. Um, I'm going to have them all write you letters. And they said, uh-huh. I said, do you remember the old black and white movie, Miracle on 34th Street? At the end of the movie, all those letters came in and drowned the judge. Yeah. Well, that's going to happen about a hundredfold over for your offices. So I suggest you take my name down, write my phone number down, because you're going to want to talk to me. Anyway, um, you're the first radio show I'm doing this with, but um, I'll be doing it on Coast to Coast. Imagine the impact there. So anyhow, these people are going to give a few letters. But here's why I want you to think about something sitting there. You look at your children, or if you're younger, your little brothers and sisters, and you think about them never knowing what it's like to fall in love and get married and have a family because they're all going to die with the hit of a CME. So you're sitting there looking at your kids or your siblings or whatever, and you just say to yourself, well, you know what? They're not worth ten words and two stamp letters. That's all it will take. Five words on each page, I support the SHIELD Act, and then put a stamp on it. So if those people are worth that much to you, do that. Send these letters in. It will make a difference, especially there's enough people on your radio station listening right now. You guys could make the whole thing move. You don't think stuff happens like that? Well, everybody thought Hillary's going to win. Who won? Yeah, the systems work. You just got to get in the numbers. But let me tell you, these chair people, if they get thousands of letters, you're going to have your shield passed and then uh, implement it. And I'll tell you what, I will ex- I'll, I'll extend this offer. I will work for free to put this shield in place. How about that? I'm more than qualified, I can tell you that. And um, I'll, just, I'll just make sure it gets built right in time. About two years it would take us from start to finish so it's cranked up and ready. Now, you're so already ready. involved with this at, at a, at a, on a level already. 
Yeah, I am. And you're like the, uh, the unofficial or the official civilian scientist yeah, yeah, in charge? Yeah. <laughs> I, I suddenly became a point man on this thing, and I wasn't even trying. And um, But, yeah, uh, so all much people that, writing letters, yeah, tell them you want me for your director of the S.H.I.E.L.D. Act. Okay. Because I'll tell you what. I'm not an insider. I have nothing to do with politics, but I have everything to do with technical things and science. And believe you me, I can get you a grid together. And um, and also, I personally know over 200 rural electric co-ops. I've talked to them in projects I've worked for them. So that makes me a liked person in a very tight, clannish community. So, um, yeah. Uh, have, you, have you gotten some of these... Uh rural co-ops to get on board with the SHIELD Act? As you mentioned, there's 900 yeah. in the country, and nobody, and none of them are part of this. this uh, well, now there, now there is 118. I signed up 118. So, um, and I'm doing it from my house here. This is ridiculous. I can't believe I'm putting the North American grid together from my house. <laughs> but... Um, it's working, and um, because see, I knew this uh, those rural electric cops. I went there in their annual meetings, and I did presentations for them, and so they knew me. So when I came in and told them what was happening, uh, they were willing to listen to me because they know me. And um, it's just uh, they don't. It's a problem with rural electric cops. They don't trust the government. <laughs> God, who can blame them? But I explained to them, this is a little bit different. It's not about the government. It's about us acting on things and protecting ourselves and save your kids, my kids, and everybody's kids. Um, it's, it's really, it's so easy to argue in a debate. You know, like, well, there might be cost or expense. What do you think being burned back into the Stone Age is going to cost you? You know, and it's going to happen. Let me tell you, we almost got it on July 23rd. And nobody even bothers telling you about it. And I didn't make it up. Go look it up on the Internet. So I'm telling you there's a way to fix this problem. But we haven't got a whole lot of time. Because I am certain that the next time Mother Nature slings one, we're going to catch it. Uh, it's just the rule of um, probability and outcome in statistics, which got a terrible thing to have to work with, statistics. But uh, it's just... The number's all against us. And it runs in cycles, too. A 150-year cycle, we're nine years overdue. So, so it's it's fixing to happen. We need to... Yeah, get, it, it happened mean, on July. We could, be, we could be in the middle of preparing. Uh, David, I want you to hold on. We are getting ready to go to our our first break of the evening. Uh, we okay. got about a minute to go. And... Uh, I'd like to get into some of the details about what it's going to take as far as equipment and, you know, let's get into more about how to mobilize the people on sure. getting to their, you know, this is one chance we've got for, what, a dollar in postage and a couple slips of paper to That's actually it. mobilize and become a political force and give ourselves yeah. a voice. You know what those two chair people office asked me? Each of them. Called them with 
Coming uh, September 29th to October 1st, the first annual Spaced Out Radio Caribou Paracon. Hi, this is Dave Scott. The event will be held at the Spruce Hill Spawn Resort in 108 Mile Ranch, British Columbia. Come join us for an amazing weekend of speakers talking all things paranormal, UFOs, ghosts, aliens, Sasquatch, intuitiveness. Listen to great speakers like Miriam Delicato, Samantha Mowat, and the crypto guru, Ronald Murphy. Get your VIP passes by going to spacedoutradio.com and clicking on the Paracon banner. Come to BC, where the paranormal is waiting for you. From coast to coast to coast, Blacklight Uncharted is taking on the paranormal across Canada. From ghostly hauntings to the UFOs flying above in conjunction with MUFON Canada, they're closely investigating what's going on in the northern skies and checking out the apparitions that walk among us. Check out our videos right here at spacedoutradio.com. We want to know your thoughts, we want to hear your experiences, and we want you to share your stories. The answers are out there, and we intend to find them. Would you like to become one of our space travelers? All you have to do is click on the space travelers icon at spacedoutradio.com. For only $5 a month, you can get access to some great prizes, as well as private monthly shows, newsletters, and a members-only section on our website. Become a space traveler today. It's paranormal news at its finest. Welcome to The Encounter. At spaceoutradio.com, The Encounter online is SOR's trusted news source for everything weird and strange going on around the world. This is news editor Eric Markham. Our team of journalists are scouring the planet for those strange stories that rarely make the mainstream. No fear-mongering or fake news here. Head over to spaceoutradio.com and encounter The Encounter. Hey, this is Canadian Paranormal Investigator Mike Moore. The third Wednesday of every month, I'll be teaming up with Dave Scott to bring you Ghosts of the Great White North. Each month, we will bring on guests from across Canada to discuss their ghostly encounters. Canada is a paranormal hotbed with stories you've never heard, so we're going to bring them to you. So get comfy on your Chesterfield, grab a donut, and join us, eh? Have you had an experience you can't explain? Had a run-in with ghosts, maybe Bigfoot, or seen lights in the sky? Hi, I'm Mike Schmidt from the SOR Sight Lines. I'm here to investigate your sighting. Head to spacedoutradio.com and fill out a report on the sight lines. All your information is 100% confidential, and I will help you figure out what you've been seeing. File your report, and let's find out the answers together. Visit purpleplates.com today. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit, and expect a miracle. Are you interested in advertising on Spaced Out Radio? Head to our website at spacedoutradio.com and click on our advertising tab. There, you will find an assortment of ways you can get your product out there with us, from radio commercials to banners and social media, have a product you like our hosts to endorse? We can do that too. 
Visit spacedoutradio.com for more details. Have you got your Cosmic Passport? If you need one, tune in to Cosmic Passport on Spaced Out Weekend. This is Elizabeth Anglin, ET experiencer, spirit medium, and host of Cosmic Passport. Each weekend, I'll be bringing you interviews and support from other paranormal experiencers and the best in intuitive spiritual guidance from across the globe. It's all happening starting at 9 p.m. Pacific Time, midnight Eastern, on spacedoutradio.com. From British Columbia to Northern California, Pacific North Weird has Cascadia covered. Check out our feature videos at spacedoutradio.com, where I, Vincent Zunza, and my super sleuth partner, Alexandra Sullivan, track down the weird and strange stories from around the Pacific Northwest from Bigfoot to Mel's Hole, and everything in between. This is what makes life exciting. So why report the normal when we can report the Pacific North Weird? Right here at spacedoutradio.com. Oh, there's only one way to rock. Loud and proud. In high definition, Radio 702 Rocks, Las Vegas. Every Saturday and Sunday night, as Dave Scott wanders aimlessly in the wilderness, you can come hang out with me, James Tyson, and Spaced Out Weekend. Starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, I'll take you along as we talk with some of the best experts in their fields. SpacedOutRadio.com is the place to find us, so sit down, relax, put your feet up, enjoy the topics like the paranormal, supernatural, intuitiveness, and so much more. Hope to see you there. Don't have time to listen to Spaced Out Radio Live? Wherever you are, the car, the office, the shower, or even if you're traveling, we're right here for you. Each Spaced Out Radio show can be found on iTunes, TuneIn, and on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. It's the perfect way for you to catch up on our shows. For more information, just head over to our website, spacedoutradio.com, and tune in to us today. Views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. And hit us up on Twitter using the hashtag SpacedOutRadio. Now, back to Dave Scott and S.O.R. Back to the second half, or second hour of Space Out Radio tonight. Our guest is David Adair, who is telling us how we can make a difference. There's a lot of people out there that don't think you can uh, do much, that we're all at the whim and fancy of powers that be, but this is tonight. The subject we're talking about is one of the few times that for the cost of two envelopes sent to an address, you can make a difference and perhaps actually, you know, really save the world. Welcome back, David. All right. Um, On the break, somebody said, don't believe you found any ships with the missiles. Well, I just typed in on the Internet. Are you people so tired you can't even type on the Internet to research something? Type in EMP found on ship under sugar sacks. I'm looking at the photos of it. And there's 
clearly the missiles laying there under all these white sugar sacks. So get off your, you know, your apathetic butts and check your stuff out. Can't believe we're just that lazy around here. Um, also, the, the the attack on the Silicon uh, Valley substation, that's all over the Internet. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, if you're too lazy to look up both of them separately, got them combined for you. Um, if you type in a thing that says, um, huh, our death toll would be staggering, Judge Janine. You, you know that woman, uh, Eric, Judge Janine, know of her? Yeah, I've heard that one before. I'm not yeah. sure in well, what context. Yeah, and it's she's, uh, she's yeah, she's a big time reporter, and um, she has a whole thing. It, uh, it's about CMEs and CMPs and that sub power station. She's got pictures. Uh, it's about a seven and a half minute uh, clip, and it's called "Our Death Toll Would Be Staggering," and it would be. So I'm just. I've got some questions in that, and I don't really know the, the, the answer myself. The difference between a coronal mass ejection and uh, EMP. I mean, one includes the other, but the other, you know, a, what a CMP have an EMP inside of it, or, you know, what, what are the differences? Say we get well, hit me- with a CME versus what would happen if we get hit with a EMP? Okay. The CME is nature-made. The EMP is man-made. The nature-made, made by the sun, is the CME. Um, it is actually way more powerful than anything man can build uh, in his EMP weapon. So let's take the CME first. It's 100 billion tons of charged plasma, and it's coming at you in the shape of a ball, weight and size of Mount Everest, moving just under light speed, covers 93 million miles in 12 hours. Um, when it hits, it's such a force, and it will the way it will strike the Van Allen radiation belts, um, imagine you're something very soft, you come in, you hit a hard ball. Well, you kind of split in half, and and your your contents will curve around it, and then they crash on the far side. That's where they come down through the upper atmospheres, all the charged plasma particles. And that also is what it will ignite your um, northern Aurora Borealis will get really cranked up. But it'll cascade over the surface of the planet, and it's so charged that the spikes that would come back through the lines overwhelming everything uh, would call the transformers to detonate and that's where your real problem is where your fires will come from Um, and that's pretty much the course of a CME but now an EMP an electromagnetic pulse is created by the cyclotrons of a nuclear warhead device when it's cranking up to the point where uh, speed of light to crash um, the different elements together to get either the fusion or fission reaction and when that happens, the energy that's released from that is your electromagnetic pulse. And when it goes out over the landscape, it will shut off everything. It will just simply burn out the, the components of the electronic components that you need to run functioning. 
So I'm trying to keep this simple. So um, it's really much more complicated. But anyway, all you, it doesn't have the might of a corona mass ejection, but it's enough to shut down the grid. And you're still got the same problem as the CME. CME just might shut you down, but with a lot of fire. The EMP may, probably will shut you down with no fire, but uh, the end result, your grid is gone. And it ain't coming back. So, it, you know, you're not going, oh, get the linemen out there, and they'll fix it in two or three weeks. <laughs> Maybe 20 or 30 years you might. So how long is people going to be able to survive that? No refrigerators. No running water. No sanitation. 30 years of that. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah. Oh, so, Mad um, Max beyond Thunderdome. Huh? Yeah. Hell, Mad, Max might, Mad Max might be a couple steps up. Right. Um, I mean, it's just... Um, and this is not science fiction. This is not alternative thinking. This is global mainstream science. It's It's... We're telling you, it's the real deal. Look it up. And it's out there. And it's just waiting to happen. It's going to happen. Our powers, our government powers, they just feel they're you know helpless and can't do anything. They don't want to tell you about it. So that's why they didn't tell you about the uh, July 23rd, 2012 event. But there is, an, uh, there is an answer to the solution. I've been telling you about it. And you need to get up and write two letters. Just If you don't do anything else in your life, just do these two letters. Enough of you do it, you're going to get movement out of the Senate subcommittee and the Congressional House Committee. Um, and it will cause ACT to become a reality. So, if you want to live, write two little letters. And, you know, and it works. I mean, the last election proved everybody saw all the numbers going this way. I'm told, you know, nobody will do anything. Nobody will not support nothing. Well, you know what? I heard the same thing when uh, people said Trump would never get elected. Well, look who's president. How'd that happen? Because there's a force out there that's moving through America that doesn't like Democrats, doesn't like Republicans, don't even like independents. And it made its voice known to everybody what they want. You know why Trump won? He doesn't play well in the sandbox. And he, he started out as a Democrat, then became Republican, now he's functioning like an independent. They voted him in because he was an irritant. They, they that political force, the political analysis uh, analysts can't figure out, um, they wanted to throw some you know, sneezing powder into their laps and their faces. So they put Trump in. And, you know... The reason his ratings slow, the people who voted Trump in don't even like Trump. It was what he represented that they wanted. You know, not the same old crap. And, buddy, he has delivered on that. <laughs> but um, Now, you said it only takes 10. That's and it. You know this. Now, for those that don't know, you have sat on Senate committees and you have been... You've been asked to like be an expert speaker for these people. How yeah. did how you know how did this come about that you found out that ten ten letters is the magic number? Well, I won't name him, but I was talking to a senator, 
and he was telling me, I was telling him, you know, I guess letter writing campaigns not worth a hoot anymore with the emails. And he said, I've been in office, I won't say how many decades. And he said, you know what, I thought the same thing. But the posted stamp letter has more power now than it ever did. We get 10 of them, just 10. And on the same subject, within a couple of days, uh, we form committees. We start doing things about it. You can send 500 emails in. We just blow them off. But it's something about the stamp letters. you got to cut them open. you got to read them. It, it, I don't know. Something, it, it behaves differently. And um, he was kind of vague on why it works. But I don't care. That's all I need to hear. So there's, there's got to be at least 10 people out there that want to write this thing. So um, I hope I get a lot. And I tell you what, you know, there you are sitting, you know, working at a job or studying at a, at a school or college, and you're about to get a job. Well, wouldn't that just be a picture? You spend all this money to get an education. You get ready to go to work. You sit down at your desk, and everything goes black, and that's it. You're never going to see the lights again. Wouldn't that just make your day? <laughs> well, at least you wouldn't at least you wouldn't have, have to pay, pay back your student loan loans. off. <laughs> you're, you're debt-free. You won't have to pay any of your college loans off, but you ain't got no world to live in either. It can happen. Laugh all you want. I remember listening to a person say, well, Donald Trump will win the presidency. And everybody laughed at this person, laughed him off the stage. They ain't laughing today. So same thing with this. You can just blow me off and don't think it's real. Then you'll just be sitting in the dark. But you know what? I'm 63 years old. I'm about dead anyhow, so I don't care. But for, how about somebody that's 20 years old, 24, in college? You might care about this. How would you like to live? Um, well, I'd like to see you live and grow up and pay your debts off and uh, have a family. But none of that's going to happen. Uh, we're going to get hit. At 110,000 miles on the last pass by three CMEs in a perfect storm, Man, I couldn't make up something that crazy. Um, and it's all over the Internet for you to research. But um, that tells me on a celestial plane, using celestial mechanics, which is a, a form of math that I use to calculate certain celestial body movements. But anyhow, the odds are stacking up. They're so far against us, we're going to get hit, y'all. It ain't if, it's just when. I believe the next round's going to get us. But we may have enough time to um, put the shield in place. But that'd be very cool because you'd have a very fun uh, Roy Borealis to watch at night and not have your continent burning up and it might be a fun day instead of end-of-the-world type crap. Okay, let's go but, into a little bit of the shield act as far as, okay, let's say we get a citizen, we, we get this grass, Roots program going. We get enough people that have written to Congress. Right. We've, we've got it now. Uh, do we have the industrial infrastructure in this country to build what we need to protect the grid? Or are we going to have to subcontract all this stuff out to India, China, Japan, you know, pick your, your offshore you know, how are how well prepared are we to even get the ball rolling? 
All right. Very good question. I'm, I'm going to break it up. Um, first part is, um, do we have the technology to do this with on hand? Yes, 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 we do. Uh, a lot of stuff is off the shelf. Uh, it's just a configuration of um, how to put it in. Like I said, we have surge arresters. We have blocking devices. We have Faraday cages. Faraday cages are really cool. It's like a big metal mesh net. Um, and uh, the second part of your question, all of the parts that we need, we do not have. Uh, but we can get them. But we have to order them from other countries, and it takes a while to get them here. And just just give you an idea of what it would be like. Imagine you're trying to put these big transformers in place at a substation, and everything's road warrior out there, and you've got to drive these transformers across them roads to get to the substation to put the transformer in. See the problem? Just nuts. No, in the SHIELD Act, what we do, we'll go ahead and pay for it, and we ordered the transformers. We put them on site, right on site of where the tra other transformers are running. We're talking about only 100 feet away. You put a Faraday net over them, so when the uh, when the CME uh, comes in, it will have no effect on the on the spare parts. Uh, but with our, that's only if other parts of the of the uh, shield would would fail. Uh, because you have blocking devices, surge arresters, and, and you've seen the surge protectors. You've got them in your own house. Um, you plug it you know, in the wall and then plug the computer into it. Well, see, that's old technology, and, and we don't have to invent anything new. We just have to drag it out and use it on a very large scale. Um, but there's uh, a, a lot of it's all... Actually, would you believe some of the most expensive and complicated parts of the shield is already in place. Example, you're going to have to build a, some really nice rockets and launch two big satellites. These satellites would be able to detect corona mass ejections and take all kinds of data and, and trajectories, readings, all that stuff, and you'll have to launch them and you got to get them in orbit and you got to maneuver them where they're perfectly synced in orbit with each other about a million miles out from Earth and, and set your monitoring uh, network up. Well, guess what? That's already done, done years ago. So the satellites are out there. Well, now you've got to have a big command center with dishes that receive the incoming signals and transmit and all that. And uh, you have to have a big uh, control center and personnel to run all that. Well, guess what? It's already done. It's called the Space Weather uh, Center, uh, SWPC, Space Weather Prediction Center, and it's in Boulder, uh, Colorado. And you can look it up on a really nice uh, SWPC. Go to it, look at the website, look at the command center. That's all built. Now, that's your, that's your early warning stations part of the shield. Because now we've got satellites a million miles out, and we have this uh, incoming data. We've got a command center, and we've got a website, and we've got an alert network. Now we just have to get all the other co-ops uh, now it's down to about 822 of them, but um, you got to get them all onto this uh, network line. But see, if we get the SHIELD Act, there's provisions in there where we will beef up that system. It really is only partially in place, um, but uh, Mr. Stein was correct. It's not his job. So um, so that's 
that's the early morning. So the signal comes in. Our satellite's out there has just picked up a CME, and it's, it's inbound. So what happens next? Well, the uh, information comes back to Mr. Stein's uh, command center, SPWC. He sends out an alert signal that goes all through the network. When all the 900 electric co-ops um, get the message on the computer, and there'll be uh, functional alarms or sirens. Uh, it won't be just an email that shows up and everybody's playing a card somewhere or, or having lunch. This thing's going to go off like a car alarm. Then it'll be wired into, you know, sirens and speakers here all over the grounds. So they'll all go run and look at what they are. And then they have, now the next step happens. And this is where they would engage your surge arresters or blocking devices. They will simply shut entire sections of the grid off from the grid so that if the surge comes down through there, it won't even make it to the substations or distributor stations or the um, manufacturing plants um, or the nuclear plants, coal-fired plants, um, electrothermal plants, you know, whatever they're generating. All those will be blocked off, and so the entire grid just kind of like segments itself. Uh, very similar to a battleship when you take a torpedo in the side and you start closing off all the surrounding hatches and doorways, um, then the, sh the ship is, is almost like compartmentalized. Oh, yeah. That way when, when torpedoes come in and blow bigger holes, it can still float. Right. Well, the grid is doing exactly the same thing. It's just shutting off. It's, instead of coming in one big bang and take out the whole grid, now it had to hit all these things individually, and it can't because it is just fortunately a one-flash attack. And that also goes for EMPs as well. They're just a one-shot device. Now, an EMP is going to be a little bit trickier because we don't know when um, whoever it would be, North Korea or an Arab terrorist, we don't know whoever detonates an EMP in America, we don't know when or where. We get at least warnings from Mother Nature that a CME is coming, but the EMP, it's just going to be out of the blue. And there are other devices that can be put in place along with all the other devices uh, that can um, trigger at the speed of light the surge arrestors, the blocking devices, and all that. And, is, there uh, a, is there a priority list? Like, I mean, this isn't going to be a willy-nilly, just, just throw parts at this thing. Have you come up with, okay, we install parts you know, is while we're waiting for the spare parts to be made, do we take what's what's the priority? The circuit breakers, uh, the Faraday well, cages. What do we do? Well, the first thing you want to do is put Faraday cages on all the substations, distributor stations. Uh, you can do that um, over some of the um, uh, transformers. You know, they have. You can use uh, the blocking devices, surge arresters. All the all the stuff would have to be put in place on the ground, on the grid, right away. And you'll best way I would do it is I start out at the uh, manufacturing plant and start putting in the devices and just spread all the way out to the end user. And um, that way we'll get it all done as we go. But you would definitely want to get your bigger distribution centers, things like that, done first case something does happen when we're hit while we're still building it, we can um, uh, take less of hits. We can reduce 
percentage-wise, uh, the amount of uh, damage we would take on should an event occur while we're still building it. So, there, yes, there's the protocol for that of what you build or put install first that give us uh, the best chance as we can, as quickly as we can. But hopefully once you start it, you'll get done before anything happens and you'll be okay. But if not, there is a protocol for that. Okay, so there is part of the SHIELD app is prioritizing. I'd like to take a question from one of our audience members over in the Spreaker chat. Andrew Chaland, or Chaland, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing your last name correctly, Andrew, but uh, you got a really good question here. Are there any uh, countries that have hardened their grid? No. Everybody's got this lackadaisical attitude, just like we do, and uh, that is a very good question. Excellent question. Um, and you know how fast I can answer it? No. No one has it. Um, if it is, it's so small, it's, we haven't even noticed it, but as far as major countries, no one's done anything to protect themselves. It's astounding, isn't it, that we depend so much on it, put so much on it, and not do a thing to protect it. And it's not just, say, stupid Americans. It's stupid humans. It's all across the planet. So I don't know what that is about. But um, excellent question. Uh, Rod, in the same chat room on the speaker chat, Rodney has a question for you, David. Uh, do you have full support to make all this happen? Uh, no more than an average citizen does. Um, what is astounding is that all this stuff is laying everywhere, and uh, you can see what's going wrong, and I just... I just went to check on some things that I was, I was, <laughs> here's how the whole thing started. Uh, do you remember I said I was lectured at about 200 of the 900 co-ops? Well, right. I, I was, uh, my wife passed away and I wanted to go back speaking. So I called up all these places so I could go back speaking. And that's how I found out. And that's how one thing led to another. I went, I looked at the, um, I, well, what I did, I asked the electric co-ops. Now, these are the people that run your grid. Do you guys know about a CME? A CM what? You guys know anything about EMPs? Uh, not really. You guys ever heard of the SPW, the SWPC, Space Weather Prediction? No. Have you ever <laughs> have you ever heard of Mr. Tao Stein? No. Well, what are you going to do when a CME comes in and uh, how are you going to get warned? I don't know. There ain't no warning system. Yeah, there is. And that's how it led to me getting involved. Is I just started asking the co-ops about it, and they didn't know anything about it. Then I went and got backtracked, going backtrack, see what is made, found the SPWC, talked to Mr. Stein, then got... The next thing I know, here I am. Um, it's, so it's, much, I tell you, I'll tell so you much for a quiet too. retirement. <laughs> You know, I tell you what, um, I'm the first to yell, the emperor is naked. That's exactly what it is. You know the fable? You know, the emperor's new clothes? Right. Well, I'm the only one in the crowd that said, no, it's not clothes, he's naked. <laughs> no, this is not a CME protection grid. This thing is not even completed. And... um 
and then it started from there. And it didn't take you very long to figure out we have started a little bit of it and stopped, and nobody in America knows about it, and that's why they're not concerned about it. No politician talks about it because none of the people are upset about it. So if they're not upset, politicians are not going to say anything, and there, here we are. And um, the SHIELD Act has been laying in subcommittees for six years. Uh, do you have a website set up for uh, the SHIELD Act where people can go? I'm getting questions in our chat uh, room. People that want to get nope. involved, is there a way for them to do so? Yeah. Uh, well, tonight is the first night I started this. So I've all the, well, what's been going on for the last few months, I've been learning everything. I've been studying, research, calling, visiting, and this is what I've found. And so I haven't had time to set anything up. As a matter of fact, you know, stuff like that, that's where volunteer groups should jump in and um, and get a site going. But um, for the time being, you can use my site. Uh, it's called americasfallfromspace.com. That's with an S on America. Um, once again, that's americasfallfromspace, all one word, dot com. And uh, you can send your request, whatever, there. And if you need to know the um, uh, name and address of the two people you're supposed to send the letters to, Senator Lisa Moskowski of Alaska and Congressman Greg Walding of Oregon, um, those two are the chair people. She, uh, Lisa is the chairwoman of the Senate, and Greg is the uh, chairperson in the House of uh, representatives and those two will decide the fate of the SHIELD Act so write them a letter tell them what you feel about this they have um, that's that's a good question where you phrase it do I have all the support I don't know <laughs> I just started but I tell you what if you guys write enough letters and they get enough of them um, they're going to want to be talking to me because um, that kind of stuff worries them and um, I guess it can grow into something bigger than they want to have. But, man, this whole thing is um, its not chicken little and the sky is falling. It's real hard science, real reality. Every science you can think of, uh, uh, committees, uh, AAAS, American Advancement Association of Science uh, in America, um, God, they're just, I can't even remember. There's so many of them, uh, League of Concerned Scientists, um, all these groups have done studies, and they all came to the same conclusion. And that's kind of scary when they all agree on something. Yeah, when they uh, all but, agree, it, it's got to make yeah, you wonder. <laughs> yeah, especially when they're only 1% to 2% off on the numbers. I mean, you mean you got a spread of about 3% among these groups? That's, that's nearly a total consensus. That's whatever it is, you can go to the bank. It's real. And that's what they were talking about, what would, what's the survivability of a CME and an EMP, and it's 93% loss of the population. Damn, that's a lot of people. Um, so anyhow, don't have to lose a single person. It's an entirely, it's an entirely preventable. Entirely preventable. Absolutely preventable. Does not need to happen. You've already got the money in place. You already got the early warning system in place. 
you got a lot of stuff already in place that's just not coordinated and um, and coherent. And uh, that's all you need to do. It's just God, and it will save all of us. I mean all of us. Okay, and, now uh, there's probably a tipping point somewhere where we can start the infrastructure changes and it's not really going to help if a CME comes. But, you know, where is the point where what we're doing will help and how long would it take to get to that bare minimum of protection to keep, you know, Armageddon from happening? Um, if you start right now and you can get the SHIELD Act passed, and then it's signed into law. Now, that's a long trip there. And we got to go in front of Trump. <laughs> uh, I meet that character. All I'm going to tell him is, um, you know, is don't connect us to global warming or climate change. Uh, I know y'all don't go for that. This is something even more hardcore science. This is just like, you know, water is wet. Gravity pulls you to the earth. You know, it's just things that you know are real. Well, that's... The CME and the EMP will take you out electrically, so um, your grid's gone. So that's a fact, and I'll just simply tell Trump, it's bad for business. Kind of hard to conduct business in the dark, isn't it? <laughs> so we're Nothing talking. Running. Could he, if, well, you if can't conduct. Like I'm sorry. Go ahead, right, Barry. If we get right there and say all the political will is there, we get the go-ahead button. Are we looking at, from that point? Two years. Two years. Two years. For the bare Two minimum. years from that And I mean, that's getting on it and staying on it. That's like a, you know, 24-7 grind. But um, the way I would operate very it. Bare minimum. That's to get to the bare minimum of protection. Or is that to get everything Hardened. No, that's everything. That's everything. Probably there's a point where you get at, I know what you're saying about the break point, probably about a year into it, you'd have enough in place. You could really reduce the the slaughter of yourself by 50, 60%, maybe 70%. Um, so that, that, I mean, in years' time, that's a lot. That's a big percentage you're covering. So it's it's a good deal. But man, need to get on it and get it started, and um, and this can be done within Trump's term. That's the other thing. I mean, completed. And then uh, I have another idea for this thing. Oh, this this grabbed a lot of people. But I'm telling you, we need to do it. You get the whole grid in place, right? And you got all your devices in. You got everything set up. Where? You got a baseball mitt and you're standing there, come on, see me. You know, you're ready. You know what we need to do? Test it. Now, that don't sound like much, but you just think about what I just said. Do you remember the old black and white movie, uh, Michael Rene, The Day the Earth Stood Still? Love We're going to need to do that for real, where the... Um, he was an alien, and he stopped the world for 30 minutes. That's what's going to have to happen. We're going to have to shut down our grids cold and see if we can do it and see what happens after we do it. Because I guarantee you, when you shut the grid off, 
and you come, you go to turn it back on, you're going to find so much stuff doesn't work. It's busted. Hasn't been checked in 40 years. Fritz, you know, switches frozen. Nothing's been moved. You, you really want to know what's running and what's not running. But to do that, you'd have to, you go, that's impossible. We can't do that. Yes, we have done it. Do you remember sitting in front of the TV set and all of a sudden it goes into a triangle? And it's a civil, um, what was it? Civil defense system. Oh, my god. And for goodness. the next, remember, uh, and for the next <laughs> yep. three minutes, will be a test. This is only a test. Do you remember that? If this were an actual well, emergency, yeah, you would be instructed yeah. to bend over and kiss your butt goodbye. Yes, well, I remember those. Uh, yeah, but you remember they test, uh, the, the network of the TV sets worked. They tested it. You could see it. You go to anybody's house, same damn signal on every single TV set all across America. That meant they shut all broadcasting down cold for about two or three minutes. Point is, we did it. We've done it before. You can be done. This is just the power grid. You will shut it down cold for 30 minutes. You realize traffic has to stop on the road. There's no street lights. Oh, my. And people say, you know, people say, you can't do that. Well, you do about 3 o'clock in the morning to 3.30. That's the lightest of the traffic. But also, it doesn't really give you a good idea of, of a full load of uh, being shut down and turned on. But you can start off light like that, but in the middle, you will have to do it in the middle of the day. And you go, well, that's inconvenient, 30 minutes. How about being burned back to the Stone Age and never having it again for the rest of your life? You think that's more inconvenient? Now, so, if we, hard, we can harden the system. Is right. there any way to block this thing from space? Or some kind of... Seems like we're missing out on a really great power supply. If It seems like there's... It, has anybody thought of a external shield or something that could at least maybe deflect it a little bit? Um... I'm not sure I'm following you. Is it where you'd want to put uh, emit a shield coming from space over the grid? Is that what you're saying? No, I mean, is there has anybody had the idea of putting something out in space that would act as a block, or is there even um, like like say a Faraday cage in space? Is there a practical the whole, way of doing that? I'm not familiar with one. Um, I'm having a hard enough time just trying to get to do it on ground. Um, that's something that can be looked at down the road, absolutely. Uh, that's something the military should be looking at. Um, but as far as I know, no, I don't know of anything like that. My God, nobody don't even know about CMEs or EMPs much. much well, the, military, the military has got some hardened sites, and they, they probably did. They've been growing, you know, slowly over the last few years. You well, know, maybe they the, have enough. The Air Force, yeah. the, you know, they've they figured out that an EMP, mm-hmm. as technologically heavy as our military is, I would think that there's that at least some parts of the military have been hardened. Yeah, you know, they they have been, and they and they've been for a while that way. Um, Problem is, when the military, uh, if it survives, and it probably will survive, it's got hardened sites, so all of it survives, but compare it to the entire masses of the entire population of North America, the military can't 
care for that. They can't, you know, they can be barely protected. And, uh, and as far as local, state, and federal, everything's gone. So the military is just going to end up saving itself. It's not even going to be able to help control the societal collapse that will occur instantly on day one. You know, the military will be enough to save itself in a little isolated pocket. It'll be, it'll be able to do that, but it's not going to be able to come out and help you. You're not going to get rescued. Here comes United States Marines. That ain't going to happen. That's not going to happen. That's just a misconception in your head. Uh, in reality, they're all going to be trying to save their own bacon. So, well, so um, many of our aircraft now are... I think some of our older Navy ships, like maybe, oh, you think some of the nuke, like the submarines will probably be okay, but do you think uh, something like the Nimitz would survive something like this? If it's not hardened, no, it will not survive it. It will so, lose all its power and it will never come back on. And yet people go, well, it's nuclear power. Well, yeah, but all the subsystems around it are digital and they will be taken out. You'll have yeah. reactors, huh? But no way to control them. So um, they'll just scram them and shut them down. So it's uh, it's a complicated thing. And I tell you what, the day that you would uh, test this thing, when you go to turn that grid back on, you're going to find, you know, hospitals in bad shape. They have backup systems have been turned on in 40 years. You're going to have uh, energy distribution plants, nuclear power plants, coal fire plants, they have never been shut down cold and asked to restart again. Um, not like the, a test would require for you. Now, you could probably get away with um, cutting them out of the grid on the test. In other words, you just put them on idle. You don't have to shut them, you don't have to shut them down. But um, you're, what you're really checking is the distribution system all the lines, make sure all that stuff's working. But um, eventually you're going to have to get around and target every single thing there is because it's like a chain. Chain's only as strong as the strongest Lincoln's chain. So and we can't Lincoln's rely on, a, we're not going to want to rely on a computer simulation of this. This is going to no, have to be no. an God real-time test. That's right, because you got big transfer switches, rotating heads out there, um, Oh, golly, what are these things called? Uh, buzz bars. And uh, th these things are huge. As big as a person, they have to turn and move and, and connect and disconnect. You know, when we had that big power blackout in uh, Northeast America and um, New York City and Canada, do you know it was came down to just a single fuse? The fuse was as big as your arm, though. But that single fuse blew, and it, the system was so weak and delicate that when that fuse blew out, it did a cascading effect from Canada to New York. And that's why everything went down the way it did. And that's, that's how fragile... The, yeah, that's, yeah, that's not the kind of fuse you wrap in tinfoil and, and move on. That's, that's No, no, we're talking something, you know, it's about 40, 50 pounds, and it's about three feet long and about eight inches in diameter. It's kind of big. But uh, still, compared oh. that fuse to the whole system that went out, thousands of square miles, you know, that's terribly uh, weak and very fragile. Very small, yeah, a very small component that's, causing a yeah, And I'm just confused. Yeah, imagine the, the savage power of a CME coming in. 
or an EMP <laughs> compared to a blown fuse. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's like a that's like a garden hose next to a fire hose in power. Well, now so, you've um, been with you've been involved in some of these hearings. Is FEMA even you know? Does FEMA have any kind of plan, or is this a can they've kicked down the road? It's no plan whatsoever. Like it doesn't even exist because they know when it hits, it's going to be so devastating. There's nothing they can do. They're overwhelmed. So they just throw the towel in on that one and just see. Yeah, they don't even worry about it. It comes so well, bend over and kiss your ass. That, but they won't tell you that officially. But that's exactly the way they're set up. They cannot respond to this. It's too big. The entire. Everywhere you look in a 360-degree pattern from where you're standing, when it happens, everything needs help. You can't, you can't, you can't service it. It's too much. And what are you going to service it with? You know, you won't have any power, no communications, no transportation. You're not going to do squat. You're just going to, it's, it's going to be Mad Max out there. And that's a shame. It shouldn't. Doesn't have to be. Now, but if we uh, okay, so it, it sounds like we really need to get some people mobilized on this. Yeah, uh, and it's so simple. Not asking you to do a grassroots campaign. Where um, I'm just asking a simple letter campaign. All you got to do is put out two stamps, two letters. Five words on each letter, sign it and date it, and you have made a significant impact. And let me tell you, if 100,000 letters show up there, we're going to have a shield act. But it's just getting people off of their apathetic butts to just send out two letters. That's all. Beating the, um, yeah, getting the inertia move, moving, yeah, fighting inertia. I'm done. You know what? You guys get the letters in. I'll do. I'll do the work for you. Seriously, you you get enough letters in there. The Shield Act gets passed and it's written into law. Then I'll just I'll become the director, and I'll put the thing together for you, and you'll yeah. have a running grid. We both you'll, live in the same area of North Carolina. It's like okay, you got to. <laughs> we're not really known for our our whopping nightlife in that area so yeah it'd no. be nice to have something to do with your retirement yeah yeah i i retired when i was 50 i'm 63 so i've been retired for 13 years and um and it was fine until my wife died a year and a half ago and my life just came to a stop because um i spent my last 20 years with um my wife and i just had a perfect relationship she was my best friend Anyway, that threw me into a real tiz because I've got all the other projects I've built. The electromagnetic fusion containment power plant, all of its designs, its schematics, the mathematical expressions, everything you need to put the thing right together right down to the screws. That's all set in, in an outsource on the web. And upon my demise, you guys get it. I'm the curious, whole thing. Uh, how, okay, have you built in a certain amount of CME or EMP protect, uh, protection in the fusion. I think of people with little fusion reactors outside their houses and having right, one of these right. Carrington event type things happen or an EMP attack. 
and you have a bunch of little suns going off in people's yards. Well, not really. What you do, so simple, throw a Faraday cage over it. That's all. Because when the Faraday cage goes over it and you ground it correctly, when that charged particles come in, they'll hit that cage, they'll stay off your reactor, and they'll just ground out into the ground. So um, it's it's like I said, it's not rocket science here. It's pretty simple, basic electricity stuff. But it's the size and magnitude you're talking about enveloping the entire national grid. And also, that's another thing. This should be, you know, I look at these stupid AOL um, and um, uh, news stories and stuff. And, you know, Warren Buffett says it's more dangerous than nuclear weapons. And it's all these stupid articles. Uh, this is, should be the number one and national threats to national security is uh, CME and an EMP because either one of them would take your entire grid out forever. How much more of a threat do you need to national security? Blow your entire infrastructure gone forever? Jeez, that would be the top of my list to make sure that ain't going to happen. And they don't even talk about it. So, um, like uh, Judge Janine uh, said here, uh, our death toll would be staggering. Yeah. You're looking at about about 320 million dead in America. Think about that. 320 million dead. And um, we only lost 5,000 at 9-11. We're talking about 320 million I mean, it's it's biblical, man, it, and <laughs> and it's all preventable, and it was all set up by us. We put our power grid forty feet in the air. We put it underground. We wouldn't be talking. Well, are there any idea? You know, is there any uh, thoughts about putting it underground? I mean, to me, it seems oh, yeah. like it should have been well, underground the number one should have been, but the number one complaint back then, all the way up to today, the same complaint. Cost too much. And my reply is, how much being burned back into the Stone Age is going to cost? I would think with you some know, of our modern petrochemical, you know, PVC, that I would think that there are more cost-effective ways. Maybe, you know, 150 years ago, it might have been you know that what did they have to work with but i mean we've got you know long lasting you know plastics that could work as you know underground conduits well where's old nikolai when you need him um nikolai tesla his power distribution of those uh power towers that he was designing this like would have been the perfect thing yeah because now. they would come in and all they do is just shut the tower off all of them just like turn a bunch of front porch lights off and the thing would hit spread out over the ground dissipate turn it back on now, and the way tower, we do things, the tower would have had to have been very very well grounded just oh man uh yeah the idea of the power of this thing one of these cmes the just the amount of voltage or you know current that one of these things would cause to happen oh man the power surge is, is off the scale because um, it's not just, you know, like in the load comes down on the grid from above. 
It's not traveling down the wires. It's coming from above. It lands on the grid from end to end all at once. So it's like you have a breaker here, but the power surge is coming from left and right of the breaker. And it doesn't matter whether the breaker's there or not uh, with the way we have it set up right now. But with, uh, you know, blockers and diverters and stuff, that's different. Uh, It would stop the flow. But right now, if it hits, it's just going to travel the lines and it's just going to cause the transformers just to surge and then they explode. And that's that's what's going to really do us in. It's going to be all the exploding transformers start the fires. And there's no way to put them out. So to prioritize this, like the first, everything get get signed into law. One of the easiest, best things we could do then is put the diverters or the circuit breakers or some way to keep the you know preserve the transformers. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think where you really start is at the big those three hundred um, high energy transformers. You start from there. You protect you protect your biggest stuff first. And you also do it right next to the metropolitan areas. You know, we wouldn't go out in the middle of a rural area in the middle of Utah and do it. We'd be in New York, L.A., Chicago. You're going after all the big demand areas and protect them first and then work your way out to the very small little town. And uh, Those are also the areas that if, you know, the spam hit the fan... Yep. The, the the horror of the mob mentality would be in these high... Right. You know, yeah, the... Uh, they get mad enough if they have a blackout, a normal blackout. Right. National intelligence community refers to that as societal collapse. And that's, that's the worst. That's, that's the big enchilada. When society have societal collapse... That's where you have millions of people with handguns killing millions of people, taking whatever little food and water they can find. And believe me, that will happen the first day it will start and go, just go worse from there. Yeah, I don't but, think uh, that's going to be a case of, well, we'll see what happens tomorrow. You've yeah. Yeah, and you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see. This is going to go bad to worse to just god awful quick. And it, it will. It's just. God, it's so preventable. I mean, it's. Well, is there anything. These- we've got about a minute before we go to our, our last break. Is there any kind of. Something you can have in your home that would at least help protect the transformer outside your house or maybe something you could um, do to, to keep it from getting out of hand? Not really. If uh, Probably the best thing you could have is just an entire uh, total load um, circuit breaker or surge protector coming from the outside line into your main fuse box. That will keep your fuse box from blowing and throwing sparks throughout the house and causing the immediate fire in the house. But believe me, it's not going to matter much because outside everything's going to be raging and burning anyhow. So um, there's like a dry chemical uh, PKP extinguisher or something? Uh, no, just um, you'd want to just be able to cut your power 
your house away from the power source because it's going to be a huge surge. Now, they do make a surge protector that you can buy and have an electrician install it that between the incoming power and your main circuit panel. All so right, when a surge that. and like that. David, I'm going to ask you to hold that uh, thought. We're going to go into our break, and we'll get right back. See you on the flip side of seven minutes, people. Looking for a great weekend getaway this fall? Hi there, this is Dave Scott. Come on up to the heart of British Columbia for the first annual Spaced Out Radio Caribou Paracon, being held at the Spruce Hills Spa and Resort in 108 Mile Ranch, British Columbia. Speakers from all over North America are coming to discuss Bigfoot, UFOs, ghosts, and intuitiveness for the three-day event, September 29th to October 1st. For more information, go to spacedoutradio.com and click on the Caribou Paracon banner and book your tickets today. Come to BC, where the paranormal is waiting for you. The SOR Sightlines is a place for you to find answers to your strange experiences. Hi there, this is Mike Schmidt. If you have had an encounter with ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, ETs, or anything else that doesn't make sense, head to spacedoutradio.com and file a Sightlines report. All information you give is 100% confidential, and I will personally help you find the answers you need. SOR Sightlines. Your answers are a click away. Have you got your Cosmic Passport? If you need one, tune in to Cosmic Passport on Spaced Out Weekend. This is Elizabeth Anglin, ET experiencer, spirit medium, and host of Cosmic Passport. Each weekend, I'll be bringing you interviews and support from other paranormal experiencers and the best in intuitive spiritual guidance from across the globe. It's all happening starting at 9 p.m. Pacific Time, midnight Eastern, on spacedoutradio.com. Hi there. I'm Butch Witkowski, lead investigator with the Cop. On the final Monday of every month, you can listen to me and host Dave Scott on Spaced Out Radio's Strange Days. We're going to get to the heart of the matter when it comes to what's happening out there. People are seeing and experiencing things from ET contact to Bigfoot, and I want to hear about it. Your experiences are what we investigators need to help solve these unknown mysteries, so tune in at spacedoutradio.com to the final Monday of every month from Butch Wachowski's Strange Days. This is your medium, Joanna, from Spaced Out Weekend, Two Mediums and a Large. I would love it if you would come and join us with host James Tyson every other Sunday on Spaced Out Weekend. Together, we will take your calls and your questions live. Our goal is to provide you with a positive outlook on deep questions that you may have. Questions regarding love, relationships, money, or whatever else is on your mind. Come and check us out at spacedoutradio.com. This is Eric Markham, news editor for Spaced Out Radio's The Encounter Online. We have put together a great team of writers and journalists from all over the world to bring you top-quality paranormal stories, from alien encounters to the latest conspiracies. You won't find any of that fake news here. True stories and top-notch reporting as we look to bring these experiences to the mainstream. The Encounter, online, only at spacedoutradio.com. Patrolling the Pacific Northwest, we are always on the lookout for the strange and unassuming stories that real people are experiencing. Hi, I'm Vincent Zunza from Pacific North Weird. Me and Alexandra Sullivan have teamed to bring to you those odd stories that never seem to make it into the mainstream. Stories so weird that we'll leave you scratching your head wondering, is this real? It's as real as it gets with Pacific North Weird. 
You can watch our videos right here at spacedoutradio.com. Become more intimate and interactive with Spaced Out Radio. Join our Space Travelers Club with your new membership. For $5 a month, we'll provide you with special access to the website, monthly prize draws from books to psychic readings, along with monthly newsletter, private interviews, and more. Sign up today to be part of Spaced Out Radio's experience. Looking for a place to advertise at a very reasonable cost? Look no further than Spaced Out Radio. SpacedOutRadio.com has an advertising tab that you can click to check out our daily, weekly, and monthly packages to play on the radio, or our website including social media. From commercial spots to banners, we have it all. Check out our competitive pricing today. Don't have time to listen to Spaced Out Radio Live? Wherever you are, the car, the office, the shower, or even if you're traveling, we're right here for you. Each Spaced Out Radio show can be found on iTunes, TuneIn, and on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. It's the perfect way for you to catch up on our shows. For more information, just head over to our website, spacedoutradio.com, and tune in to us today. You hear footsteps in the empty room above you. A rocking chair begins rocking by itself. Don't be afraid of the things that go bump in the night. Reach for Spirit Story Box. The iPhone app the Huffington Post UK called the only ghost hunting app you will ever need. Spirit Story Box. The spirits are telling their stories. Are you listening? Strange creatures lurking in the night, the sounds of wood knocking in the forest, odd happenings right out of a fictional world. These are the reports I love. Hi there, this is author Ronald Murphy, and I would love it if you join me and Spaced Out Radio host Dave Scott the second Wednesday of every month on our journey into the unknown land of cryptozoology at spacedoutradio.com. From Mothman to Frogman and everything in between, hey, they don't call me the crypto guru for nothing. Did you know that Spaced Out Radio runs seven days a week? Hi, it's James Tyson from Spaced Out Weekend. Every Saturday and Sunday night, starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, you can join me and my guests for some great chatter about what's going on out in the universe or even in that dark part of the basement you really don't want to go back into. Well, let's find the answers to your experiences together. So come on up to Uncle Jimbo's cabin on the weekend. For more information, look us up at spacedoutradio.com. The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and hashtag Spaced Out Radio. And on Facebook, Spaced Out Radio Show. Now, back to the program. Private Eye Matrix Revealed. All right. Welcome back to the last hour of Spaced Out Radio. Tonight, I'm giving Dave a night off, and it's the preacher Eric Markham and his guest, David Adair. The original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent... Revolution Radio. Yeah, I'm doing fine. Radio. Well, the, 
Slip, We're in the same time zone, so slip, how's three o'clock in the morning? Two o'clock in the morning feeling to you? Oh man, I'm used to doing it. I've been on uh, coast to coast and uh, they got the same hours. Uh, all right, I want to do uh, kind of wrap up the Shield Act. I, I, there's other, there's some other things that are very important that I'd like to get into, but uh, for our audience. David has sent me the mailing addresses to Senator Lisa Murkowski and Congressman Greg Walden. These are the people we need to send the letters to to get something done with the SHIELD Act. And I'll be posting these addresses all over the you know, our Space Out Radio website and our our different uh, Facebook pages with the different regions. So we'll get to that. Now, a lot of people probably remember that you are a honest-to-God rocket scientist. Now, yeah. you've been doing some work in designing fusion reactors. Right. Now, As a matter of fact, I never stopped doing it. That's what the rocket that I got tagged with so much Um it wasn't. It wasn't really rockets that I was after. I'm after something else. Uh, rocket engine was the medium in which I found that I could test out my hypothesis on my theorems of containment, uh, mathematical expressions, um, and the only way I could actually figure out a physical 3D reality test was to come up with a rocket engine uh, because. What I was really working on, still have, and have the last 46 years, and I finished, um, I was after fusion containment, and uh, that's been the holy grail of physics. And people said, you couldn't have possibly done it. There's been, you know, RAND, there's been Battelle Memorial, there's been all these NASA and MIT, and they sent billions on, they, and they still haven't got it. Uh, well, they kind of got it. They've got that. They've gotten up to, I think, 1.000756 of one second of containment. Uh, back in um, June 20th, 1971, I got up to four and a half seconds. Now, that don't sound like much, but from where they're at to where I'm at is an eternity. Um, I was knocking on the door of total containment, and, um, uh, and in that four and a half seconds, I bet my rocket burned for three point... Um, what is the point? Six or seven? Three point seven seconds, I believe. And in that three point seven seconds, that rocket <laughs> it, it performed beyond anything I was expecting. Uh, the power was just so intense. There was so much of it. Um, but anyhow, that's um, and people confuse me with cold fusion. I have. I'm anything but cold, y'all. My engines run at one hundred million degrees centigrade. It's about 10,000 times hotter than the surface of the sun. Uh, there's a really good reason for us running that hot on these things. Um, its temperatures are necessary at that level to get to the fusion process you want to get at. But also in the full containment field, and that's where everyone's missed it. Um, the reason they don't have full containment running yet, they're on the wrong design. They've been on the wrong design for 81 years. Um, try telling that they're not listening. Um, 
Matter of fact, I'll tell you a story. <laughs> I was at the, uh, uh, ironically, the Rayburn building, um, and I didn't, you really have to know where you're going around in, in the office buildings of, of our nation. Uh, it's different. It's not like regular office buildings you go into in a town. For instance, you, I saw this elevator open up. The other elevator's just loaded with people, so I ran over this elevator, and I thought it was a freight elevator. Well, I get in, and uh, just as the door closed, and I see a sign outside that says, for senators and congressmen only. <laughs> I didn't know any better. I'm in a suit. I thought, oh, I'm carrying a briefcase. They'll probably think I'm just a congressman. Well, it was stopped next floor, and the door opened, and all these people get on board, and I get over to the corner by the panel, and uh, they're telling me what numbers they would like to push, and I was pushing them. And the doors are all brass, really fancy. And uh, when the doors closed, uh, it's like a mirror. I could see everybody behind me. And they got, they immediately, they were in a he- kind of a heated argument out in the hallway. And they got in the elevator, and as soon as the doors closed, they started up again. And I don't know what you can call it, serendipity, coincidence, or whatever. But you know who these people were? They were all the lobbyists and senators and Congress people of the fusion containment community, so help me. And I'm saying, oh, my God, and they just had a meeting about fusion containment. And I'm just keeping my back turned up when I'm listening to them. And they go, you know, we have put in decades of work, and you tell us now that the official reply from you as a whole is that what you need to get to fusion containment, you need $80 billion more in 40 more years. And I'm sitting there going, 40 years. That's a familiar number? It should be. That's the number of a career. So they want this block of $80 billion to last them 40 years. They're planning out careers. They don't care whether they get fusion containment or not. And so I should have just kept my mouth closed, but I just couldn't. And I said to the old elevator, I didn't even turn my back. I said, you're on the wrong design. <laughs> you could hear a pin drop. And <laughs> this woman went, see, I've been telling you, that's exactly what's wrong. We're, on, we're not on the right track. We're on the wrong track for design. And they went, who are you over there? <laughs> and I, uh, the doors opened. I went, I'm just a guy who got on the wrong elevator. And <laughs> I stepped off. But two of the women followed me, and they were the uh, editors of Fusion Containment Magazine for the um, it's the technical magazine for the community. And they wanted to know who I was. When I just told them, look, you've got the wrong design, and I'll give you a clue. You have half of it. And see, that's the problem. Um, they're using tutorial compressors, and that is only half the answer. And um, I figured out the other half back in 1971, actually earlier, about 1968. And I tried this other design, and lo and behold, it works. And I don't know why the others hadn't switched to a different design. Mainly it's like NASA and their solid rockets and their liquid fuel rockets and nothing else. Never mind, there's 77 other rocket engines you could pick from in uh, Huntsville, Alabama, at the Long Range Planning uh, Division of NASA. But nobody wants to ever hear that part. But um, anyway, that's all they use, status quo, chemical and uh, solid rocket fuel. That's it. Well, how, so, hard are these, how hard are these fusion 
I mean, you were doing this as more or less in high school as a metal shop student, weren't you, on your original well, rocket engines? Well, yeah, in the original preliminary design, and then um, I just got all this, I don't know what you call it, that <laughs> spell of dreams, and um, knowledge came in, and um, and I just started putting it to work, and I realized very quickly, I can't do this by myself I need so much equipment and so many expertise in other areas I said I'm just not going to be able to do it well Mother Nature came in and had a or whatever you want to call it fate it had a different idea so what seems like an unimportant event or or something that shouldn't have any bearing on me my mother uh, my dad got injured my mother had to go back to work Uh, she was just a housemaker and but mother was smart and um she started out at the local hospital and she became a, a candy striper at about 38 and then she became a nurse's aide within the, about six months and she got so good as nurse's aide that she went to college and then became an lpn and then um she is a coronary care specialist technician now listen up this is 1966. There is no coronary care units. There is no women in that kind of field of work in a small area where we work. So my mother was the first female coronary care technician in Ohio in 1966. And uh, they gave her a, ch- a choice of shifts, and she always loved 11 to 7 shifts. So she chose it. So my mother is now the head technician of, uh, of the graveyard shift of a brand-new built coronary care technician unit. Now you're asking yourself, what's that got to do with his story? Well, bear with me. So my mother is, um, is, is in charge, and she gets this patient in there, a cranky old guy, 93 years old. His, his name is Irving. And Irving has a wife named Arizona, and she's about the same age, and they both are just cranky as they can be. And as a matter of fact, this old guy Irving took a cane and knocked out, <laughs> knocked out one of my mother's nurses, and she went down there and got that cane, and she broke it across his bed, <laughs> right by his head, and she got, told him, I will beat you to death with this cane if you hit another one of my girls. And so this guy started paying attention to mother and behaving. And so their son came in. And they have a son named Curtis. Now, put the name together. Their son is Curtis LeMay, four-star Air Force General, chief of the Joint Chiefs, designer of the B-52 Stratofortress, founder of Strategic Air Command, or Nuclear Retaliatory Defenses. And that it's his dad in bed that my mother's in charge of. And so he has to go through my mother to see his dad. And he likes coming up there about 3 o'clock in the morning because he had a paparazzi problem. And so he and my mother got to know each other. And uh, the timing was interesting. He had just ran as vice president with, um, uh, oh, my God, the guy's running for pre- George Wallace. And George Wallace got shot. And uh, anyway, they they lost the election. That was um, 
November 1968. Well, I've been working on all this formulations, and I had 93 pages in this book of all these uh, formulas for uh, fusion containment. And it was everything from uh, quantum physics, differential mechanics, to um, applied and theoretical uh, sides of uh, different stratums. But anyhow, um, my mother was talking to, to General LeMay, and he he asked her about her sons, and she goes, well, the first two sons are just kind of normal. That third one's really strange. you got to keep an eye on him. He's always building these rockets. And he goes, rockets, really? And uh, he launches oh, it's these flying rockets. Yeah, he launches them out in cow fields. And uh, he's constantly working something. Uh, and then General LeMay asked her, um, does he keep notes in a notebook? She goes, yeah, he does. So I go to bed at 11 o'clock because i got to go to school next morning. So my mother went to work, and she didn't say a word to me. She took my notebook with me. And LeMay opens it up, and he starts reading it. And he has enough education where he picked up on it. And he just turned to my mother and asked her, do you have a copier? <laughs> He copies, thank God he only didn't get it all. He only copied about a fourth of my book and uh, and gave her the book, and she brought it back home, and I went to school, and I never even knew this was done. And then uh, General May went to a place uh, in Columbus, Ohio. We were in Mount Vernon, Ohio. He had about a 45-, 50-minute car ride. He went over to Columbus to Battelle Memorial, and he gave them my notes and asked them, is this anything or it's just chicken scratch? And um they came back, who is it? Where is this person working? Flying rockets out in cow fields. They went, holy crap. So, um, uh, you know, LeMay asked, is there something to this? Yeah, this guy's working on fusion containment. It's not a guy, it's a kid. So they invited me to Mattel. <laughs> I met LeMay and he brought me to Mattel and um, Mattel Memorial and they asked me a lot of questions and Things were never the same after that. Um, uh, in about two months, um, on January 6, 1969, uh, I get a knock on the front door, and there's this full bird colonel standing there named Colonel uh, Arthur Bailey Williams, and he is the XO of General LeMay, and he said, I'm here to help you put together everything you need to assemble this fusion rocket, and I went, are you serious? And, yeah, how uh, old were you at that time? I mean... I, I was 15, and I said, is this a joke? And he goes, no, we're quite serious. I said, well, you want to sit down and write a grocery list? <laughs> and that, and we did, and I just wrote down everything I could possibly think of, uh, starting out with um, a very particular... Um, vacuum chamber that I needed was huge. Um, and I had a facility. To, I said, I have a facility we could work in. And what my parents had bought this home, and at the other end of the property was a commercial um, garage. You've seen commercial uh, dealerships. You know, they're big buildings, garages. And my parents just let me move in there and and got the big shops and everything. So it was just great. Um so he came in and looked around. And he said, well, we need to remodify this, need to build this, build that. And 
Lance, wait, <laughs> you're talking about major construction, uh, reconstruction of this building, and and he goes, yeah, you, you don't worry about paying for it. It's not, it's already paid for. <laughs> he had the entire iron triangle at his fingertips. So we started in and we reconstructed that building until it was um, it was the weirdest thing. They they built this big bay on the inside, and all the windows were covered with panels. And you can't see in. And um, then they built this sliding door that went down parallel of the grease pits. So you could slide this sliding wall and latch it in place. And you'd never know this huge bay area in the back was there. And you go outside and you can't really tell that, you know, there's a big area inside that you never saw. So anyway, that became the hub of the assembly area where we assembled Pithlin. And then we started farming everything out. And, um, uh, man, there was everybody. Um, I remember crates coming in from uh, National Lawrence Livermore Laboratories, Los Alamosas, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, Battelle Memorial, ran. I mean, it was just everybody. And, um, and I had... A, small workforce of uh, Air Force personnel asked them to, um, they loved this, asked them to wear blue jeans and plaid shirts because uh, I can't have them hanging around Air Force uniforms, you know, all day long at, at my place. So they looked like regular people, and um, and we conducted our work. And um, 26 and a half months later, we assembled Pithlin. And um, all the now special this machines. this is in the 70s. Yeah, and you had a limited amount of alloys. You, I mean, metallurgy. My dad's an engineer. It's metallurgy has surged in the last fifty years. So, boy, it has. And I mean, there's stuff that can take higher temperatures than you. You know, what was your primary? I mean, you're beyond well, all the melting points. Of metals anyway so how you know with your containment field and and what you had to work with back then what well, was your primary have, metal well that's that's the strangest thing um there was this alloy and it's very limited there wasn't a whole lot of just only about a couple tons of it and it's collected only in one place it's in england and um it's called carbonite now, I said this on Coast to Coast, and all these expert idiots and morons immediately said, oh, that's what they froze Han Solo in, and his guy's full of shit. You know, I said, no, it's, I pronounce words a little differently. You know, we're down here in the south where y'all is singular and all y'all is plural. So it's carbonite, and let me spell it, C-A-R-N-I-T-E, carbonite. Now, the stuff that Han Solo was in was carbonite, C-A-R-B-O-N-I-T-E. Mine can be found. Look it up on the Internet. It's in England only. Now there's none of it really existing because I used it all. And I had it sent. And I've never seen any metal like that in my life. It was an alloy composition. And here's the strange thing. Uh, it's coming straight out of the Iron Triangle. And the originators of the alloy is unknown, and it's from World War II. I don't even know how to explain that one to you, but that's that's the way it is. 
And the metal. Now, did, your, did your designs, uh, your rocket designs, have uh, a not? You know, they have to have a nozzle of some kind, right? Yeah. Well, see, the the thing is, I have to find a way to get an opening inside um, a figure eight compattern, and so I can release a a charge uh, particle beam will open one end of one of the uh, psychotrons and that will become uh, that orifice that I opened up with that particle beam in rocket terminology that's called specific impulse that's where your nozzle is and that's where the opening of the field was but I also had to figure out a way to extend the field outside uh, the openings and on down past the fins because I didn't want my fins to be staring at the heat of the sun. Uh, so I had to channel uh, part of the, uh, it's really cool that we ended up configuring it, but I used a crystal formation like a lens uh, formation to extend the containment field out past the body of the rocket so we wouldn't burn the body of the rocket because basically what I'm going to do is open up a running reactor for just about three seconds but it's going to be staring at the power of a thermonuclear detonation chain reaction an H-bomb so I'm going to pull the cork out of the end of a magnetic bottle and let an H-bomb out <laughs> and I sound crazy and freaked out Colonel Williams, but I explained to him it's only going to be a it's a controlled detonation is what it is, controlled burst, and we're going to direct it straight up, and that's how I it's put it simple how I came up with the idea for it as a medium a rocket was playing with a balloon I was blowing it up and letting it fly around the room go over and pick it up blow it up and let it fly and I realized I could use that same principle. Of Newtonian laws, uh, for every opposite, there's an equal and opposite reaction until it's acted upon by an outside external force. So that's exactly what I did, a rocket engine. And so I have a nuclear fusion containment power plant as an engine in this rocket, and we're going to expose that pad <laughs> to, the, to the power of the sun. And uh, it was an interesting day that day, to say the least. But... I thought we weren't going to go into this. That's what the story, that's what my story felt. By the way, there's a documentary that's in the very final stages of editing. We've been at it for over 10 years on this thing. And um, in about two weeks, God, it sounds like Money Pit, remember? In two weeks, yeah, you hear that yeah. all the time. I've been saying this for years, and that's <laughs> two weeks. But for God's sake, in two weeks, uh, middle of July, we'll be done and we'll, we'll, can sell this uh, documentary, and um, a production company uh, called Human Race Productions, love that name, um, they filmed the thing. They've been on it all these years, and they followed me everywhere through seven different states, going back 46 years, 2,500 road miles. And the reason this is so different from any documentary you've seen on me is I'm the guy that did it. Uh, they were willing to take the time and money and 
I was willing to take them to the places if they'd hang with it because I've had these so-called researchers like Stanton Freeman said they researched me. Well, then how come when we did this documentary, we found all these real people that were there 46 years ago, and they're, they're old, but they were there, and they remember me doing all this stuff. So I, and I asked them if they ever heard of Stanton Freeman. They said, no. So how could you research me if you never talked to my contacts? Yeah, I'd like to hear that explanation. But anyway, um, we have all these people in film, and we got all this hardcore documents. And uh, uh, the reason why, I'm the only person that knows where everything happened 46 years ago. Stan Freeman don't even know where to start to investigate me. I mean, give me a break. I mean, it's stupid. So I took this camera crew to all these different places, and we met up. We either found documents or we found people, and um, it's all on camera. The first place I told them to go is you want to go to um, uh, Ashland, Ohio. And they go, Where's the, why is that? Well, that's where the library is of the congressman that was in charge of everything, Congressman Ashbrook. And they went, really? I said, yeah. So we drove there, and they got the cameras running. We got out of the car, walked through the parking lot, go up to the front of the big building. There's the, the curator. He meets us, takes us back there, spins a big wheel on the vault, opens it up, comes out with these letters, lays the first letter on the table, the camera goes right down to it. And you know what the letter says? <laughs> it has the congressional letterheads all over it. It's from Congress to me, and it's John Ashbrook's office, and it said, uh, uh, Dear David, why John is, uh, Ashbrook is out running for president of the United States, that's 1972, or, let's see, was 72? Yeah, it was 72. So um, then uh, we're in the process of attaining the Titan missile for you. Now stop everything right there. I said, do you see what we were reading, what they just said? We're in the process of attaining the Titan missile for you. That's a 130-foot-tall intercontinental ballistic missile, the most powerful nuclear deterrent we have in our United States arsenal. And it's, it's state-of-the-art. It takes a full military unit to move the damn thing. It's got twin half-million-pound thrusting engines on it. And... The letter is dated June 10, 1970. I'm born in 1954. How old am I? I'm 15 years old, and you're handing a Titan missile over to me. Don't you find that a little odd signed by Congress? Wow. <laughs> and that's what my, well, the producer said something other words, uh, colorful reference to cows, but um, she went, God, <laughs> I said, you, you like that letter? Well, look at the other 13 behind it. And it's my whole story in the letters, in the records of Congress. That's as far as you have to go to research my story. But anyway, they photograph all the letters, and um, um, and that's how the whole thing started. And we just went from there, and, and it took us years to recover, regroup through things, and we found all this stuff. So it's in a documentary. You can see all this stuff. Um, and... You look at it and, and like that letter. How do you Photoshop that letter? How do you Photoshop the curator right. of a you know of a congressional records library vault? You know, and then it just goes on and on. It's really cool things in there. Uh, Social Security was really fun, but 
the thing is, I documented everything that I've said, and it it all checks out. So that surprised the producer of the film. She just she was expecting to turn into a um, a debunker and bust me, but um, she just all the stuff one after another after another checked out, checked out, checked out, and she goes, "Holy smokes! You mean to tell me this story's true?" I went, yeah, no, I've been lying to you all this time. All these yeah. years, yeah. Yeah, why in God's name? With, and Art Bell said it best. He said um, he wanted to know my story. And I said, all right, it's going to take us a while. It took us from 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. Seven hours nonstop, we went at it and finally got my story out. There's so many characters, so many events, so many details. And... Um, and Hart said to the critics, said, if the man was lying up here, why in God's name would he make a seven-hour lie? You know, knowing all we got to do is play the tapes back years later, see where he misses. Well, over the years, they've played tapes constantly over the originals, and I've never aired. It's just... It's no, I've, tell heard, I've heard the story on two different, you know, two different hosts' show, and... It was the same story. I could tell though about fifteen years after the first one, the, the is like okay, I'm basically sick of telling this story. I am. Oh God, I hate telling this story. It's just I love talking about the Shield Act, and there's two, a couple other projects I'm working on that's really cool. But um, well, can you talk about them? Or are they in a are they in a preliminary state that you don't want to let out the the cat out of the bag? No, there's uh, this one, the um, Gamma Ray Creation Project. That's been a fun thing to work on. Um, and the name of it, people go, man, that sounds like something science fiction. What are you doing? Yeah, making the and whole. I, yeah, I said the Gamma Ray Creation Project. And, you know, what are you, you, Frankenstein? You're building some kind of life form? I went, no, but I'm looking for one. I said, um, what happened was I, I got a call from uh, Northwestern University uh, years ago, and th- their in vitro department, you know, where they trying to get women pregnant, right? Well, they got a problem. They uh, they get a tray of eggs, and they fertilize them, and half the tray doesn't live, and the other half that they work with, they just can't find the eggs to take. And it's very frustrating on the woman. It's a really emotional situation. So I just happened to, because of my work as a technology transfer consultant, I take space technology that we've created to solve a problem in space with, and I redesign it and put it into commercial application. No big deal. Uh, one of the most famous examples, Tang. You know, nasty tasting orange stuff. Uh, oh, God. But I anyway. Kid. Yeah. So that was one of the first, but there's a lot cooler ones I did since then. But. Anyhow, I knew of a way that we could hook up the cameras on a microscopic level that when the sperm enters the egg, it excites the um, the zinc on the surface of, of the egg, and it will cause an actual, uh, there will be a phosphorus connection which will attack to the surrounding molecules and you will get a flash. So I said, look, there's the flashes. I go, what's that? That's the sperm entering the egg. And uh, I said, 
the ones that flash the brightest, that's the eggs you want to use. And they went, what's wrong with you people? I went, holy God, David, you just photographed a spark of life. And I went, oh, I did? I'm just trying to find the eggs that will light up for you. And he went, Jesus. I said, I, said, I guess I'm done here. And if you don't mind, I'm going to uh, take this project one step further. And I uh, told them what I'm going to do. And they go, are you serious? I went, you know, yeah, where'd you get that idea? In a dream. So I had this dream. And what I did, I took the in vitro machine when photographing the sperms entering the eggs. And by the way, it really did well for the in vitro process because they were able to pick out the very best of the eggs, discard the rest, and they had a very good uh, success rate at impregnating women, and everybody was happy, so I was glad that worked. But I took this machine, the original design did for them, and I augmented it, and I put it inside a cloud chamber. Now, do you know what a cloud chamber is? You can go yeah. to museum. Yeah, okay, like people can go to a museum like um, Griffin Observatory in, in uh, L.A., and you'll see a big table sitting in the middle of the room. You'll see a plexiglass shields over it, and you'll see this fog in there, and you'll see streaks going through there. And you're looking around, and you're like, where are these streaks coming from? Well, they're coming from through the roof, and what they are, they're gamma ray particles that's been traveling billions of light years and billions of um, miles in space, and they come through that roof and they go through that chamber, leaving a streak in the gla- and the gas, and it goes out through the bottom of the table, through the floor, and into the earth, and goes a few feet, and that's the end of it. But um, I want, uh, here's my theory. Here's what this whole device. So I've got the, I'm watching an egg, watching a sperm go in the egg, and I'm trying to catch, at serendipity, you imagine how hard this is, to catch a gamma ray particle coming through at the right time where the gamma ray particle and the sperm go into the egg simultaneously. Because once the sperm goes in, it seals off the egg. So what's happening in real life? Well, you fertilize the egg, you put it back in the host. She's at the grocery store walking down the aisle. And just as her sperm is about to enter an egg, she walks right into the path of a gamma ray particle. And they both go in and get sealed in. And my theory is this. If you take that egg out and, or leave it in the host and have normal and the baby's born, you watch that child real close. And if it grows up to what I think is happening, that is where they come from. Um... Michelangelo, Da Vinci, Newton, Hawkins, Einstein. That's where they come from. It's that little sperm and that cosmic, that uh, gamma ray goes into that egg and it starts, God knows what that gamma ray is carrying with it in coding. And that could be where your super smart people come from. Just pure serendipity. That's why there's only a handful of them throughout centuries. Well, the gamma anyway. ray is also the most radioactively active. You know, it's the most it's the most dangerous of the radioactive particles, right? It seems like part. Uh, I'm trying to think back to my power plant orientation on the Nimitz. It's like alpha and beta were easier right. to gamma. block, but gamma goes through everything. It does, and um, 
But by the time it gets to the surface of the earth, of all the things going through, once it goes through us, it goes into the earth. It only goes about two feet, and that's the end of it. So it's at the very end of its run, and the woman lines up perfect. The egg goes in. The, the sperm goes in the egg. The gamma ray particle goes with the sperm, closes up, and that's, I think that might be an answer as, and because of XY chromosome, it does favor the X more. So that's why you really have more, you know, well-known scientists that are men than women, but that doesn't mean the women don't exist. They certainly are brilliant out there. But I think with the XY chromosome, the um, X is overriding on this. Or it could be just biased men writing history and don't want to write about the smart women. So, oh, um, you know, Rosalind Franklin uh, yeah. basically oh, had, you know, she, she actually discovered the structure of DNA but didn't know what she was looking at. Watson, yeah, and Crick, Watson and Crick saw her stuff and was like, oh, we can steal this. Yeah, so, now women yeah. are just some really smart women and, and they're coming down to the same road I think the others are. Uh, it's just not as quite as many females, but um, they're out there. And Now, are so you running it, into any kind of uh, ethical... Okay, if this technology you know shows up, I mean, how are you ethically able to test? Well, first it? of all, strictly um, a an in vitro. I'm just, yeah, I'm just an in vitro process, and um, because I give the uh, the sperm and the egg back to the donor, the original donors, and um, it's all it did was just try to photograph when we catch a um, gamma ray particle that's going in. Uh, so I'm not really violating any ethical things. I'm just no more than in vitro does. And I'm not even doing a process as bad as uh, Octomom did, where that oh, Lord, yeah. moron had 16 kids. But no, we're not doing that. We're just uh, we're not interfering. We're just observing the natural process. And it's just one point where we have it external so we can watch it, and then we put it back to the host. So... Um, and I'm not making any modification, changes, alterations, nothing. I'm just just whatever the gamma, whatever the gamma ray part. Whatever is. gamma ray does, is what it does. You know, I'm just watching, and um, so I'm not, I'm not influencing anything. I'm just observing, um, uh, and it's just, it's that's all it is. It's a, it's a theory. I'm testing out my theory. My theory is, I think I know where all these super smart people come from, and why there's just a few of them throughout. The generations, we don't, you know, so we don't have thousands of them. Mm. So, um, I no, think the, uh, the fact that we remember Tesla, uh, yeah. Einstein, it'll be Haw- you know, Stephen Hawking, these people, right. they shine. They're exceptions to the average. Yeah. If I can, um, if I can get a track of these, see, unfortunately, this kind of research would out. You know, outlive me, but if somebody follows through, pick it up and follow it, uh, and then follow some of these um, fetuses that grow up, um, dang, I may be right. I don't know. It's, anyway, it's just something full to fun with, and and uh, to really get some great images, though. Holy smokes. And um, uh, to watch the flash, uh, the spark of life when uh, the sperm enters the egg, that thing's pretty cool. I was thinking of... Um, producing some of the photos and blow them up and sell them because um, you should see it. It looks, you look at it and go, what is that? You know, it looks like exploding 
atoms. It looks like something in quantum physics, and um, and when actually it's it's the most essential basics of life. It's it's a sperm entering an egg, but what a flash it makes! And that's what probably that's what the zona pellucida once it once a single sperm gets through that chemical reaction has to take place in order yeah. to keep other you know it's rare right. every once in a while to get through, but for the most yeah, part, in it, that flash, what happens? One gets is through. That that shuts the valve off, so to speak. Yeah, and um, it throws the shield up because then all of the zinc around it will flash and harden and becomes an, a seed in case pod, and your fetus starts. It's very cool the way the whole thing works. But um, now, what anyway, kind of, that was what just, kind of tech are you having to use to see that spark? I mean, that sounds like uh, we used to have something way back in the early days when I was. First started to be a med tech for counting uh, a, a scintillation counter. I, I haven't seen one. God, I haven't seen. They used to be the reference method, but I think they've moved on to immunoassays yeah, now. Yeah, people think it's the Star Trek stuff I'm doing. I went, no, man, it's actually ancient history. Uh, this is stuff used years and decades ago. But um, now put it in a cloud chamber, that's a little different twist. <laughs> Uh, not too many. Uh, I don't think anybody's ever talked about that. But um, anyway, that's what I'm looking at. So that's, it's called a gamma ray creation project. It's, uh, sitting over here in the corner of the lab, it's just um, a fun thing to play with. And uh, friends went, "Man, David, you got some strange toys in here." <laughs> yeah, I had to build them all. But uh, yeah, that's what you end up having to do if you look for something in the the M-Lab catalog or something, it's like, no way, because <laughs> you're paying for a lot of, re you know, FDA regulation, you know, a, oh, thermom yeah, that, I, a thermometer out of one of my lab supply catalogs would probably be, you know, $160 for a calibrated mercury thermometer. It's like, holy crap. <laughs> it's a, you know, it's amazing though what you can get. Um, I ordered from Amazon, um, Uranium. <laughs> you look it up. You can order uranium from Amazon. I did. And uh, I use it to calibrate my um, Geiger counters. <laughs> I've got a question from Craig in the Spreaker chat room, and he wants to know when you will be ready to share your fusion tech with the world. Very simple. On the day I die, you'll get it through open source from the web. Um it's in several different places around the planet, and um, and the reason I have it set up that way is insurance. Believe me, the big people, they don't want me to die. They want me to live forever. They don't want this information out. But I've set it up with um, other entities that will be able to release it. I didn't have the web back in 1971, so this is really cool because right. I was – putting it all together, going, how am I going to get this out to everybody? And then uh, I got enlightened to uh, open source on the web, and I went, man, this is going to work good. So there's a real basket of goodies uh, hanging there for you guys. But it also insurance for me, they don't want me to get ran over by a car or fall down and the bar is open to back up. Because that means uh, when this stuff comes out, it's really going to uh, cause it. It's so complete. It's, you get the manuals right down to what screws you need to put everything together. 
How hard? I mean, is this something that... No, any independent... Well, yeah, it's going to be have to be a little sophisticated lab or a really smart person at home, but any independent lab would be able to build a thing, get the same results I got, thereby validating the technology. And that's that's all I need. And then after that, it's on the web. Anybody can have it. Clean well, this, thermal fusion power. With so, this um, kind of, the kind of heats and pressures you've got. Uh, oh, it's, it's, it, it definitely... You better get your magnetic fields right, but I've got the math laid out there and the theorems and the mathematical models are in 3D CAD-CAN form. There's no way you can miss it. And um, and your containment shields will hold because um, you don't want to you don't want your shields to drop because you're looking at 100 million degrees centigrade. If you do, it's going to be real warm in there quick. <laughs> well, this kind of but, fusion, um, you could you would actually be able to synthesize. We're talking about the kind of heat pressure where you could mod, maybe modify it a little bit and create heavier elements, gold. Uh, I think yeah, it crossed my mind, and um, and I could also uh, um, what I really wanted to replicate is a, a, a potential fuel source. Um, it occurs naturally on the sun because of the heat and pressure, but um, with the third isotope of helium three, you know, helium three comes off the sun, distributed through the solar system by the solar winds. That really doesn't make it here to Earth because of the Van Allen radiation belts and all the atmospheres layers. But on the Moon, there's no atmosphere, and um, the Moon dust is saturated with helium three. Did you know that? I've heard I've I've heard that speculated, but I never heard anybody with any credibility like yourself actually say that. Oh God, yes, helium three is all over the surface of the Moon. Um, Matter of fact, matter of keep an eye on Japan and China. Uh, they're building uh, uh, robot probes, and it's not hard to do. You fire a robot to the moon, and it, it solves impacts um, with retro rockets. It lands there. And we're talking about not a small robot, you know, not like the size of a coffee table. We're talking about something big as a house. And it's a processing facility. It'll land on the moon. It'll run across the surface. Uh, scooping up about the first two or three inches of soil. You'll throw that soil into a hopper and turn it to the sun. It'll get up to about 200, 250 degrees. Then this gas will come out of the soil, and they roll it over to the shadow side of the vehicle where it's 200 below zero, and that gas condenses into a liquid, and you put it in these little cylinders which fits into this rocket body thing, and it fires it from the moon back up to the mothership, and it racks up these cylinders. And then the mothership comes home, lands in the ocean, parachutes, and you have gallons of helium-3. And, And I mean, man, that's going to rock. With the lack of atmosphere or, you know, the thinness of the... Lunar atmosphere, you can you can make a pretty easy mass driver to get the stuff in orbit. You're not facing the same orbital That's exactly problems. right. You don't have the same escape but, velocity. Well, and people go, how much would you have to get up? One ton of ore 
one pound of lunar oil would give you enough helium-3 to run the nuclear power plants down here to match the entire needs of America for eternity. Uh, let's see. Well, one ton, you'll get about two years out of it. How much is on the surface of the moon, front and back? It's eternity of amount of fuel of helium-3. So uh, uh, Japan and China's got their eyes on helium-3. They're going to be going after it. And, um, okay, you know, we discovered we, it. How do we actually convert? What do we, we've got a fused ion here. We've got uh, the ice H3 or helium-3. What do you have to do to use this thing? I mean, how, it, you mean once you've got the... Yeah, uh, how do you utilize it once you've got it? Yeah. Well, you coat, like, yeah, you can use it with conventional um, reactors, which I, I wouldn't want to use. Uh, mine doesn't have it. But pile rods. You build pile rods with heating three saturated in, within the rod and then... Uh, apply the power rod in a normal fashion, run it into the reactor, and the differential is going to give you that um, that power, the heat that you need. And um, But there's other, there's better, more efficient ways with um, fusion containment power plants. You would use uh, two particles of it that would be, my God, not even the size of a, of a baby pea, and... Uh, you would annihilate that thing in an annihilation process, and uh, it would give you tremendous uh, power off of a, an annihilation process. Of course, see, that's when you're running at 100 million degrees centigrade. Now, As keep in mind... Up of the way, it occurs to me that somebody ought to be researching how to use the toxic leftovers from our fission process. Oh, yes. I'm, Some kind uh, of way to... to I've got, I got some very hungry reactors that uh, you build one of my reactors that can be portable and you drive it up to Yucca Mountain and you take all the waste out of the Yucca Mountain and feed it into the reactor. At 100 million degrees centigrade, there's nothing left. I mean, not even atoms. Nothing's left. It's total annihilation. So that means you burn all that waste up and there's no radiation left. And you get all the power out of it, energy release, channel it through your power systems into uh, heat so you can turn the steam generators and there's your power. Um, so, yeah, my process would eat the nasty uh, leftovers, the waste uh, products of the fission reactors. So you get power in exchange for rid of waste. Not a bad deal. And um, that will happen. Good idea. It is, and it's, um, and I've got all the instruction plans on what, how to do it uh, on the open source. So, um, um, yeah, hopefully, you know, if I can get the Shield Act in place, up and running, and then drop the rest of the stuff on open source, um, then I would have left this place in better shape than when I found it, which is what I always wanted to do. And, uh, if you notice, I'm not charging anything for this stuff. It's all going out free, and everybody gets it. Yeah, that means North Korea, Iran, Russia, China, everybody gets it for free off the web. 
Well, that way nobody's uh, trying to cut each other's throats for it. That's right. And well. not, no one country should own this process. It's just too damn powerful. So what you do, you put it on open end and let it go through the web, and everybody gets it for free. So everybody is equal, and uh, and that, and you want everybody using it because that will stop building up more waste of the other products, of the other processes. So, so it seems like once you have a good, uh, easy, clean fusion power, you would break, not want. Yeah, you break the you know oil is just for lubricants now and plastics. Yeah. You That's don't, exactly right. You don't need to take it and you know burn it up in your cars, and you open up all new industries for. You know, it's not going. It's going to displace people, but they're not. They're going to go from one in you know one type of energy right. into another. Yeah. So it's and not like you're going to have all these oil workers and coal miners. Standing they're not out around of work. with yeah, they're not out of work. They just transition into something that probably a different, and it'll be cleaner and healthier for them. Um, they won't have black lung or um, or you know the cancerous problems. And yeah, see that's this you guys use the world out there. The only thing y'all know about nuclear power, you know everything about the evil twin. That's what you've been working with. That's all you've been working with. Fission. Nuclear fission and the fusion of today. What I have is the other twin. This is a good twin. This is the one that everybody's been after. You know, it's been called the Holy Grail of physics. Why I ended up with it, I have no idea. You know, well, I believe what. I'm glad what somebody Al- did. <laughs> for, yeah. for the sake of my grandchildren. Well, David, we're about to wrap this up. Uh, I need to announce that tomorrow night on the show, Ian Holt joins Dave for a look at everything paranormal, 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern. And David, thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, it was it was a true honor and a pleasure to have been able to contact you. If anybody wants to get involved with the Shield Act, do you yeah. have a website? You know, last thirty seconds. Do you have a website or someplace they can go? Yeah. Um, I will soon have information up on that and americasfallfromspace.com. That's okay. my website. You can see also my documentary will be on sale in a few weeks there. But also I sent you the addresses uh, of where people are supposed to write to the, so they can go to your site and get that info. And um, send them letters off, people. I tell you, just 10 of you out there. So imagine, I know there's going to be more than 10 people going to write this. They get several hundred letters, and we've got something started. It won't take much. But everybody's right as me as you can. I love to drown them like... Yeah, all you college students listening to us at noon in Georgia, get your your paper and pen out. Right. Go to the post office and really mail one. It's a stamp. They they can help you out there. (laughs) It'll be the most significant thing you ever do your entire life. Because you could end up saving everybody's life. And you'll actually so, and, um, That's just it, man. I'm just here to... I even volunteer to put the thing together. I'm just here to help. I just... Um, I'm not going to license or sell my stuff. I retired at 50. God, if I wanted to be rich, I, I could, Donald Trump would have to borrow money from me. But um, I 
didn't come here for that. I come for fixing things, and yeah, that's what we do. I'll leave you guys a basket of fixed goodies here. All right, so. we're wrapping it up, and uh, once again, I'd like to thank you very much, and uh, thank you all for listening tonight. And like I said, I will post these addresses to the different uh, SOR sites around the world, so we can, you know, if yeah, they get, get it help. from Australia or they get Canada, we're all in the, this boat together. Yeah, it is. Good night. <laughs>